There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. I am your host, Eduardo, and boy, is today a joyous day. We're here, folks. We are at the culmination of everything that we have have experienced so far, and I have assembled the least ambitious crossover in history because it's literally just the same people that are here every single week (laughs) (laughs) to to talk with me on this podcast. First, all the way from Peachville, Mr. Peaches himself, and Mr. Peaches is his father before he gets that out there. It's Peaches. Peaches, what's up, man? Just take away every return quip I could possibly have. (laughs) Why don't you? Man, uh... I didn't know we still did this podcast. This is great. What? We still do this <laughs> Welcome podcast? back, everybody. That's We're here. Because we this episode is recording the day after we finished the Black Panther episode. Yeah, so for I sure. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. And we definitely recorded the Black Panther episode in one sitting. Yes. That voice you Yesterday. heard was uh, <laughs> writer for all things Assembly Required himself. It's Robbie. Robbie, what up, buddy? Uh, not much. I don't really have any sort of clever comeback because it feels surreal that we're actually at this point. Yeah, and you know, at, when we first started the podcast, it felt like this was going to be almost like an ending point, like the next two, yep. but we actually have a lot more to talk about mm-hmm. after these two movies, so mm-hmm. it's going to be great. Um, and last but certainly not least, the man who has been painstakingly going through all of the Black Panther audio so that you could get <laughs> somewhat of a decent listening experience, the Sound Lord himself. Chris, what's up, buddy? By the time you listen to this the Black Panther episode will come out, so I'll be done. But let me tell you, I'm not done yet. It's been weeks, and I'd like to take this moment. You'll already hear me apologize in the intro to Black Panther Part 2. I'm going to do it again. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> All hail been, the sound lord. It's been the rough. Lord's work. How are you holding up? I, I feel like... I feel, the, Lord's <laughs> the Lord's work. work. I, I feel like I should be demoted <laughs> to, like, sound duke or something, you know? Sound duke. That's still pretty prestigious, yeah. I would say. Sound, yeah, I was going to say Sound Baron, but Sound Baron actually sounds cool. <laughs> you know, the Sound know? Popper over here. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm like at best, a Sound Governor state sound. Representative, you know? <laughs> oh, he's a state senator. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Mayor Sound. We're just, we're, we keep going down now. Man, all, all right. mayors do is lose. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to make that joke because by the time this episode comes out, that's going to be way way a long time ago (laughs) well like i said we're talking about infinity war and i wanted to just take a second to say thank you to everybody who's listening to this show so far we were just talking about how crazy it is that there are people that listen to this show that have never met us that appreciate what we're doing so we just want to let you know that we appreciate you for taking the time to listen to four idiots talk about movies that they're probably not even qualified to be giving four idiots and our smart friends that we invite on the show sometimes (laughs) right (laughs) hey i don't need you to call me an idiot i can do that myself okay please go ahead thank you i'm an idiot (laughs) (laughs) 
So thank you, everybody, for listening. Just know uh, we're going to keep this podcast going for as long as we possibly can. As long as there's more Marvel content out there, we're going to talk about it. That's fine. And then after that, who knows? This show will live on in some way after we're done. But for now, we're going to keep talking about stuff. All right. Infinity War. This is it. This is the, 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 the most ambitious crossover, you know, tagline, all the memes. We're here. We're at Infinity War. Robbie, break it down with some of the, some of the historical context Man, of this, this, uh, this particular series. Now, just to preface, all of us here have read Infinity Gauntlet, right? I yep. believe so. I think all of yeah. us have. Yep. Um, which makes me happy. I'm so happy you guys read it. I think that gives a lot of great context for this. And mostly yeah. I'm just happy because I think Infinity Gauntlet is a fantastic comic run. Even today it holds up so well. Um, and if you are listening and you have not read it, you should find it. And you should read it. It is um, one of the greatest comic crossovers ever. Uh, and the Russo brothers, especially if you like listen to their commentary, they clearly loved it and took it to heart as they were making their film. They didn't remake the comic page by page, but what they made was a movie that clearly took a lot from a great, important comic for them. Um, and it ages very well. This is very daunting to talk about. Um, so Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet. Thanos was the creation of Marvel writer and artist Jim Starlin, who, as far as I'm concerned, is a legend. Um, mm. It does not quite get mentioned as a legend often enough. And I got a quote from about his creation of Thanos. Um, I went to college between doing U.S. military service and getting work in comics, and there was a psych class that came, and in that I came up with Thanos. And Drax the, Destro the Destroyer, Drax the Destroyer, but I'm not sure how he fit into it, just anger management probably. Uh, so I came up to Marvel and editor Roy Thomas asked if I wanted to do an issue of Iron Man. I felt that this may be my only chance ever to do a character, not having the confidence that my career was going to last anything longer than a few weeks. Wow. Uh, so they got jammed into it. Thanos was a much thinner character, and Roy suggests beefing him up. So he's beefed up quite a bit from the original sketches. And later on, I liked beefing him up so much that he continued to grow in size. So he literally used his uh, first run on Iron Man just to insert his original character into the storyline, which almost always is bad. But in this case, I guess it was great. Um... So, uh, also, Jim Starlin will openly admit that Thanos is basically stolen from Darkseid. So, people that say, well, Thanos is just Darkseid. Yeah, Jim Starlin agrees with you, and he made the character, so you're right. But they're very different. They end up being different, yes, um, but he was definitely inspired by him. Yeah. He's not like Chinese Overwatch stolen. Right. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like inspired by. Sure. He's no, a, no, he's no, a no, change no. your answer so uh, so they don't know I copied. Right. Yeah, where's <laughs> where's the dark side helicopter? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, dark that. side don't have a helicopter. Little uh, loser. So he first appeared in Invincible Iron Man number 55 uh, in the late 70s. And he popped around in Marvel stories um, through the late 70s and the early 80s. A lot of Silver Surfer, um, some Spider-Man, just here and there, just kind of being a cosmic threat for heroes. And then kind of disappeared. Uh, Thanos is an Eternal from the, Munit from the Moon Titan. He's also a mutant. So the Eternals are super powerful. Um, they live on Titan. And Thanos is even more powerful because he is a mutant. Um, he, so he has um, basically all the usual physical abilities, strength and speed, and, you know, able to jump over buildings, you know, all the all the stuff you expect. Uh, but his mutant ability is to be able to absorb and project cosmic energy, 
which makes him even more powerful. Um, he gained mystical abilities from Lazy Lady Lady Death, so he's got some abilities to stand up. <laughs> from Lazy Death. <laughs> yes, Lazy Death didn't want to do it herself, so she gave Thanos. Is that not just the tagline for that Simpsons episode where Homer takes over for <laughs> Damn for Millennials, <laughs> Lady Death? Do your job. Um Let's see. So mystical ability, speed strength, um, Cosmic energy. Uh, he's a genius tactician and strategist. Stuff that he taught to himself. So it basically comes together for him to be near invincible. Um, so he's sort of the final boss of the Marvel universe. You know, it's it's at the end of the day. Wait, we've cleared everything. Oh, Thanos is still out there. <laughs> uh, so then um, came the Infinity Saga. Thanos kind of disappeared in the '80s, and Starlin brought him back in 1990 um, for a series of comics that I think you could maybe argue outside of the comics in 63 and 64 that introduced a bunch of Marvel characters, I think you could argue that the Thanos run in the early 90s is the most important thing um, in the Marvel Universe. Um, so Starlin brushed off Thanos for a series beginning with Thanos Quest. Uh, Thanos was wanting to impress the celestial goddess Death uh, by killing people. Um, so he traveled the galaxy to collect the six Infinity Gems. That's literally all Thanos Quest is. is it's like a... Um, a collection of short stories of Thanos goes and meets someone and takes their Infinity Stone. Not always through force or violence. A lot of times it's it's through different means. Uh, but it's just Thanos collecting the Infinity Stones. It includes meeting the Grandmaster and the Collector. So Thanos taking the an Infinity Stone, or Infinity Gem as it was called, uh, from the Collector is, uh, from the comic as well. He genocides the entire race of, of um, Eternals on Titan to impress her. Uh, he encounters the pirate queen Nebula, who claims to be his granddaughter. Um, and in retribution and to impress death, he slaughters her and all her pirates, but leaves her alive as a crispy zombie um, for his own amusement. Um, he adopts the warrior Gamora as his daughter, attempting to use her to assassinate the hero Adam Warlock, uh, who we're going to see eventually in the MCU. Uh, but Warlock convinces Gamora to join his side and she becomes a hero. Um, after collecting the stones, Thanos places them into a gauntlet of his own design called the Infinity Gauntlet, allowing him to wield their powers, um, making him basically omnipotent. He has these powerful gems, uh, that allow him to control time, space, power, basically the known universe. Um, and to impress Death, or, well, and Death isn't impressed by his omnipotence, so he keeps trying. And that is where we went into Infinity Gauntlet, a six-issue massive crossover of the marvel universe that is basically just about every hero in marvel universe at that time in this comic run um just a huge thing and again i cannot stress enough if you've never read it go back and read it um it's still the framing the artwork the storyline it all still holds up so incredibly well um and and it's something that i will go back and re reread now and then i love it so much uh so infinity gauntlet um uh, began um, with uh, Thanos continuing to try and impress Lady Death at the end of the first issue of the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, fed up with how she's not impressed, he decides that he's going to balance the universe by wiping out half of all living things. To demonstrate his incredible power, he does that literally with just a snap of the fingers. Um, one snap of the finger, half of the universe is dead. Uh, prior to that, the Silver Surfer had encountered him, goes to Earth and warns everyone of Thanos' plans. Um, he warns Doctor Strange by saying Thanos is coming, this is important. Um, and they gather the Avengers together, uh, as well as a bunch of other heroes, the X-Men. Um, everyone's basically gathered together, the Fantastic Four, uh, to try and stop Thanos. Uh, through several issues of fighting, Thanos defeats the heroes, though he nearly loses at 
the defiance of Captain America and who distracts him and the Silver Surfer almost takes him out. Um, but then Thanos basically just kills all the heroes, um, becomes extremely obsessed with proving his power and takes on the Celestials. Uh, that causes him to leave sort of his mortal body. And Nebula, who's just stumbling around for his own amusement as a charred zombie, um, walks up to him, takes off the gauntlet, puts it on, restores her strength um, to healthy, and takes the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, now, so this is what's interesting, and sort of a little bit of a difference of Thanos in the film and Thanos on the comic pages. Um, from there, Adam Warlock and Thanos end up talking, and Warlock and Vince talk to Thanos about how he knew he was going to lose because Thanos, at his core, does not think he's worthy of great power and will always cause himself to lose. And that's a running theme with comic book Thanos. The other part that's a running theme with comic book Thanos is Warlock convinces him that Nebula's dangerous and they have to stop him together. So Thanos, at times, ends up being somewhat of an anti-hero. He just serves himself and himself is dangerous. But Thanos, at times, is aligned with the heroes in the comics, as he is at the end of Infinity Gauntlet. When he works with Adam Warlock to stop the now-overpowered um, Nebula... Warlock convinces the gems to turn against one another, takes the gauntlet from Nebula. Um, Thanos fakes his own death via nuclear blast, though it's revealed at the end that he had just quietly retired to a distant planet on a farm using his armor as a scarecrow, um, which is also important. Um, the crossover continued through Infinity War, which fe featured Thanos teaming up with Adam Warlock and his Infinity Watch, which was Gamora, Drax, and Pip. Pip's not in the movies. Uh... Although I thought Pip was going to be in the movie. I absolutely thought Pip was going to be in the oh, movie. And I thought it was going to be um, Peter Dinklage. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Peter Dinklage. Well, and I had no Dinklage idea Peter Dinklage was, was said, already oh, in this movie. Pip. Yep. I thought Pip would. See, I didn't know Peter Dinklage was in the movie. And I thought, oh, they need to use Peter Dinklage as Pip. Uh -huh. And then I'm just sitting there happily in the movie. And then Peter Dinklage shows up. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh. Um. <laughs> anyway, Thanos continues as a major Mar Marvel villain. The themes of his defeats being his own fault. Because um, he considers himself unworthy, continues. The theme of him being trying to impress Lady Death continues. He does often end up being something of an anti-hero. And the gems are still out there as a super dangerous MacGuffin um, in the MCU. Um, also should note, Jim Starlin is a massive fan of the Russo Brothers uh, version of Thanos. Um, he has talked about how it is not the same character, but 100% in the same sort of spirit of the character that he made, which... I agree with, but he is more of an of an expert on Thanos than I am, so I'm glad he has to say that. Um, so that's Thanos, yeah. and that's the uh, paper version of Infinity Gauntlet. Um, Chris, what about the history of the film? Oh, yeah, so it was announced, I, I think we may have talked about this before, when they did their massive announcement of all these future movies, and this is right before Age of Ultron came out, uh, they also announced that it was going to be leading up to Avengers Infinity War parts one and two, and they were going to be released a year apart. Uh, one in uh, 2018 and one in 2019. Um, so they said they were going to be producing those movies together. Uh, they were subtitled part one and two because they were going to have shared elements, uh, but they were assuring people that it wasn't going to be just one story that was cut in half. Uh, and then they did eventually decide that they were going to change the titles. And the first one would be Infinity War. And the second one, they didn't announce what it was going to be called until well after Infinity War had left theaters. <laughs> For a long time, it was just Avengers 4. What are they calling it? Uh, we did, of course, find out eventually it was Endgame, like a lot of us guessed. Um, it was actually, I think this is interesting. Well, it was filmed at the same time. They were filmed back to back, Infinity War and Endgame. And they were the first Hollywood feature films shot entirely with IMAX digital cameras, uh, which is why 
I at least uh, made made certain to see both of them in IMAX when I could. Uh, uh, it was quite the production getting all of these actors together, getting everyone's schedules to align. Uh, you know, there are a lot, so a lot of it had to be filmed out of order and everything. Uh, but they they did they obviously they did a great job with it. Uh, so it it was originally announced to premiere in the United States on May 4th, uh, 2018. And it was going to be released uh, a week early in a lot of other countries. Cause that's how Hollywood works. A lot of times is that they release stuff like in Europe first. I don't know exactly why something to do with money. I don't know the business of it, uh, but they decided. And I remember they announced this through a weird Twitter thread where Robert Downey Jr. Tweeted at Avengers at the Avengers Twitter account. And I was like, Hey, I want to see the movie early. And they said, okay. And he goes, I want to bring friends. And I said, okay, we'll release it early. It was obviously, you know, a <laughs> planned thing because um, they had posters made up and everything, but they announced that it was actually going to end up releasing a week earlier on uh, April 27th, 2018. And they did the same thing for Endgame, which made me happy because my wedding was scheduled for the weekend that Endgame came out or <laughs> uh, was, was originally supposed to come out. I remember that. Because you know, it, it was supposed to come out on May 3rd. And I was getting married on the 4th. And then they, when they pushed Infinity War up a week, I was like, well, maybe they'll push uh, Endgame up to And then they did. And I was very happy uh, because I got to see it and didn't have to miss my rehearsal dinner to do it. And got to uh, last second change the music. And that was a, and yes, that was yes, a I did. good, that was a, I shouldn't say good. That was a great rehearsal dinner. I will say. Thank you. <laughs> but yes, no, if, if the movie had, Danny was, uh, Something just made a beep, beep, beep noise. Can you all still hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Beep, beep, beep. Um, I, will I can hear that. everyone. Okay, good. Uh, that was probably just my computer making a noise uh, that I shouldn't worry about. You're not like on a laptop that needs to be plugged in, are you? No. You're not going to self-destruct, are you? I will find out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, as I was saying, yes. Um, if they had not changed the... Uh, uh, um, the the date of the movie release danny my brother slash best man and then our uh, matron of honor kelly they were both working on a joint plan to make sure that we could all go see the movie um right either either day before or after the rehearsal dinner so uh, there were contingency plans um but then they changed the date anyway so it was fine um that was all personal stuff but hey uh you guys seem to like us so we'll we'll share these stories uh, um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so and then it made a butt ton of money. Uh, it just completely obliterated every single opening weekend record in existence. It made it made like three hundred million, I want to say, or something like that. No, okay, no, it made two hundred fifty-seven million domestically in its opening weekend, which beat uh, Star Wars Episode Seven by ten million dollars. Uh, so that was impressive. Um, we're like, oh, wow, nothing had ever made, you know, nothing had ever come close to that before. And then Endgame went and beat that by $100 million. I've forgotten what Endgame making money was like, man. Yeah, Endgame making money. I don't think we'll ever see that again. Uh, Like, I honestly, yeah. Um, yeah, this, this was the number I was looking for is that Avengers Infinity War made. $257, almost $258 million in his opening weekend, which was just absolutely absurd. And then Endgame beat that by $100 million, uh, which is just 
my brain is melting even thinking about that. Uh, so yeah, so it made a ton of money. Everyone went to saw it, and they saw it again and again and again and again. Uh, and I just it was it was a phenomenon. And now everyone in the world knows who Thanos is. Uh, this this previously fairly obscure comic book character uh, who was you know famous to comic book fans, but now he's. I don't think I am out of line to say that he's up there with Darth Vader as far as villains that have had an effect on pop culture right. at large. I know everyone knows, you know, people use Thanos as a verb now for making things yep. disappear. You know, it's like that, like the right. snap, the, <laughs> this, this, this massive comic book event that again, not, not something that a lot of people know about outside of comic book fans at the time. You know, there, there are comic book events that everyone knows, like the death of Superman. And then there are comic book events that comic book people know. And that is what infinity gauntlet was, yeah. I think. Uh, and now the snap, the blip, whatever you want to call it. Now, uh, Thanos getting the infinity gauntlet is something that everyone knows. Like, the, like infinity war and then Endgame, Cause even though they are two different movies, you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. Like that was a cultural moment in movies that i i i never seen anything like that before closest i could say would be star wars uh you know probably probably the prequels and then and then the sequels you know 10 whatever years later um like but but this somehow managed to surpass even that i think as far as like everyone talking Mm -hmm. about it uh yeah so yeah it was made, it was very difficult to make, and then somehow it worked and made all the money. Yeah, we'll dig into it some more as we get into the uh, yeah into the synopsis, into the discussion portion. But it, there's just so much when, when you got to think about when you talk about um sort of its its cultural impact, its impact on the four of us specifically, right? We think about uh, Infinity War. We wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't yep. for Infinity War, and yeah. Endgame, right? Like. That those movies really sort of bridge the gap between all the movies. You know, since we before. said it, and maybe, maybe you wanted to save this for later and you can cut it out if you didn't, but I feel like since uh, Chris brought up his wedding and the end game coming out and everything, should all be yeah. up that the genesis of this podcast was me sitting next to Eduardo. It was his idea, but he brought it up to me and then to, you know, uh, to Chris and Peaches as we were sitting at the um, reception after Soundlord's wedding. Um, that was where this podcast started. That's true. Yeah. Angela and I were making the rounds to the tables. We came over to your table and yep. uh, I forget if it was you or Eduardo that said it, but you're like, it was Eduardo. Oh, yeah. Eduardo said, Hey, so I want to talk about this podcast we want to do. Eye. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yep. And <laughs> cause we were all still buzzing over Endgame. Yeah. And yeah. Cause, um, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I'll, I'll wait to, we'll have more wedding talk on the end game episode. Definitely. Um, <laughs> Uh, a weird thing to say a couple specific things (laughs) um but i remember uh we were angela and i were in hawaii for our honeymoon and i'm getting messages from you guys we created the group chat that is our the chat we use for planning this podcast and you guys had recorded your uh your as yet unreleased sam raimi spider-man episode as a a test subject no i have i have not i haven't put that together yet 
we have one listener that is chomping at the bit for that episode. By I, the way, fair warning, it was hands down our worst episode. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, had so, to, we had no idea. That was the point. I wasn't in it. That was the point. We had no idea what we were doing. I mean, we. Yeah. One of y'all suggested we should we should maybe do this live, and I said no, absolutely not, I did, because <laughs> we were doing everything live at the time. So yeah. I was like, why not? The Bill O'Reilly way. Um, <laughs> we'll do it live. You gotta uh, crawl before you can walk. You know. All right. Speaking of crawl, let's get to the the opening crawl of this movie. Um, the dead so, speak. <laughs> the dead speak. Somehow, Palpatine is alive. Uh, so. Our film begins with you know, traditional Marvel title sequence, but instead of the music, we hear the distress signal of the Statesman, the ship the Asgardians used to escape at the end of Ragnarok. I'm going to interject already. I'm sorry. Please, go ahead. That's Kenneth Branagh's voice, director of Thor, in a, in oh, a really? vocal-only cameo as the Asgardian calling for help. Yep. All right, that's all. That's crazy. Aboard the heavily damaged ship, the Black Order kills Asgardians while a member of the Order, the Ebony Maw, tells them that they should be grateful for giving their lives to the service of Thanos' quest for galactic balance. And I don't think... Okay, uh, maybe I'll just... I didn't get to put this as a point, but I'll say it right now. Every time I watch this movie, I end up appreciating a different point. And in my most recent rewatch, I really appreciated Ebony Maw. And the way Ebony Maw feels like a religious figure right like he feels like he could be a Mm -hmm. real religious figure that's like you guys should be grateful for this to be happening to you you." oh become children of thanos in death (laughs) literally my first line in my personal notes is ebony ma is so great Uh, every line he delivers is fantastic he's handing out nikes and fruit punch to everybody in the room (laughs) (laughs) oh boy his his i see what you mean yeah later his his dialogue with Doctor Strange later is so great. He just delivers everything so well. Yeah. Who, who's the actor that plays him? Do we, anyone know? You offhand? keep going and I'll look it up. Yeah. All right. The only so, one I remember is Carrie Coon is uh, Proxima Midnight. That's... So Thanos in full armor on the bridge tells Thor and Loki he knows what it's like to lose and demands the Tesseract from Loki, threatening Thor's life with his newly acquired Power Stone, one-sixth of the stones collected so far. Thor claims the Tesseract was destroyed, but Loki reveals he pulled a Loki and he stole it from Odin's vault. He also reveals that the Hulk is waiting in the wings to help. A great line. We have a Hulk. Yes. Said right back at him. That's fantastic. Um, Hulk attacks Thanos, but Thanos, Thanos, I'm going to say it 16 different ways during this podcast, (laughs) proves to be his equal in strength and superior in tactics and quickly bests the aggressive green man. An injured Heimdall calls upon the Bifrost to send Hulk away from the ship and is then stabbed by Thanos in retaliation, thus ending Idris Elba's criminal misuse in the MCU. (laughs) By death by Thanos. Um, and then Thor sw- swears to kill Thanos. Let's just pour one out for my homie Heimdall here. Yeah. Because Idris Elba, Idris Elba deserved better. I mean, you can pour one out for most of Asgard right now. We could pour th- several things out. Not most, exactly half. Can someone yeah. <laughs> explain to me where the other Asgardians are? Is that ever mentioned? Yeah. Is so, it half or is it all? Because are they it's just half. floating around it's on half. a spaceship? Well, they say it's, it's half, half, but they don't because the other half ends up in Tonsberg. 
sure, but how does that work? Oh, sure. Do we ever get explained how they? They don't they explain go? it in the film because that's how we do things now. We don't explain things in films; we explain them in press releases later. Um, it was explained, and they also talk about it on the commentary track. Um, that half was of them it explained survived. later in the Infinity War novelization. Probably, <laughs> um, I think the idea is that half of the ship was broken off and sent away. Um, which yeah. I think could have been. I think it was supposed to be that, like Valkyrie and Korg right. and the other survivors yes. got them onto life. Yeah, like, actually, on the commentary, they literally say the line, "You best pray for Korg." It makes me think um, of just Titanic and Korg running around, going, "Right, I have a child." Eh? I know there is a line then, of dialogue the in the boat. film where <laughs> Thor says the line, um, "He slaughtered, uh, slaughtered my brother and half my people," or something like that. Thor does say half my people. But I do think we could have used, and this is nitpicky, we could have used literally just one line to explain that Thanos picked half of them, killed half of them, and the other half went away. Right. I got I got that from the movie, though, because he says half of them, and then they show him slaughtering half of Gamora's people. Uh, so so I, I figured out that, okay, that's his MO. He goes around killing people. Like, Which half would have been fine if he way. didn't blow up the ship afterwards. I think that's where I kind of go, well... This doesn't make sense because they blew up the ship and then they just kind of leave out the whole section where half of the people leave at some point, right? I think that's the only weird part. If they didn't have the the whole like ship blowing up specifically, then it would probably make a little more sense like half the people are still left there, but there needed to be a reason for Thor to be kind of floating around in space. So it makes sense. Speaking of things floating around in space, uh... Anybody wondering who the voice actor for Ebony Ma was? It's Tom Von Lawyer. Lawlor, sorry. Okay. Uh, what, does he have any other notable credits? He is. Um, He's Irish. <laughs> he is Irish, and I've heard of almost nothing else that he's been in. Okay, he's, he's in, in Peaky Blinders. He's in Peaky, Peaky Blinders. Blinders. The go. Infiltrator. Um, those, those, think he was in like one on episode of Peaky Blinders. Oh. oh, okay. Um, Charlie, a TV miniseries. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. I've heard, of these. <laughs> I've heard of almost none of this. You're right. Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't know. Well, good on good. you, Tom. You did great. <laughs> you did great. Uh, so at this point, Thanos crushes the Tesseract in his bare hand, revealing the space stone inside and places it on his gauntlet. He's now, uh, for those keeping track, he's at two Infinity Stones. Um, Loki pretends to swear his allegiance to Thanos, but is attempting to kill him. Thanos stops the assault and strangles Loki to death, which is, in my opinion, the most brutal death yes. scene in the entire yes, MCU, yes. and it is very difficult to watch. Yes. It is, especially because it's Loki. It's a character that we've had since the the third MCU movie, or the fourth MCU movie. And I'm going to keep talking about things the Russo brothers say on the commentary. That was a design choice. Um, they wanted Thanos throughout the film to be basically not directly attacking people, only and only eliminating them with you know a wave of his literal gauntlet. Uh, when necessary, and mostly just ignoring people because they're beneath him. Um, so to contrast that, they wanted to give him one brutal kill at the start of the film, and that was Loki. And Loki makes the most sense, too, because they have a history. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, they say that, too. We, uh, 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense because he's probably he's been pissed at Loki for years now, probably, and now fate has brought them back together, and he knows he knows Loki's tricks. He's not going to fall for them. So he get not only does he get his stone, but he gets he gets his revenge for him messing up the invasion of Earth to get the Tesseract the first time around, and losing him the Mind Stone. Right. So it it kind of checks out. Yeah. Um, but man, it's rough. It is a oh, it is yeah. a tough thing to watch. You like literally watch the life go out from Loki's eyes. It is very difficult. It really does a good job though setting the tone for the rest of the movie. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. it happens so quick. I I was in um so a place that I worked when that came out did a a Deadpool bracket for the movie, and but everybody they didn't have the rights to the Fox characters then. Well, we did one anyway, <laughs> because we're rebels. Uh, but we did a Deadpool, and everybody in the office wrote on a piece of paper the first three characters in the MCU they thought were going to die in this film. And as a tiebreaker, if anybody were to, you know, if anybody were to tie with those three and in the right order, the tiebreaker was a timestamp of how soon into the movie the first character was going to die. Nobody came anywhere close because it was like four minutes into the movie. Nobody put four minutes at all. I think the closest was like still in the tens. Um, but I think a lot of people expected Loki to die. Mm-hmm. It just still hurt. And it, it didn't, it was just so soon yeah. that it was jarring. I remember Feige said before the movie came out, he says Thanos does something in the yep. first five minutes that will yes. prove to you that he is our biggest. And I villain. actually remember talking uh, to Peaches about this when I was talking about the pool and I was like, no, someone's going to die in a couple minutes. Feige already said so. I wasn't sure who yeah. it was going to be, though. Yeah. And and I had a I had a hunt. I mean, I wasn't around to do this Deadpool, um, but I had a hunch that. I knew how this movie was going to begin because I saw how Ragnarok ended. Right. And I just remember thinking, what a bummer that this happy ending is going to be completely undone by the time Infinity War begins. Right. And, I, and it yeah. was. And uh, it. I think my guesses were, um, it's been a long time at this point, but Loki was on the list for sure. Yeah. And I think the other two that I put were Captain America and Hawkeye. I didn't get close at all. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think those were solid guesses before this movie came out. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people have been predicting Captain America's death since yep. the Winter Soldier, right? Right. Because Bucky's going to take over at some point. Uh, was, right. Yeah. He'll die in Civil War because he died in the comic Civil War. <laughs> right. Um, I thought that. Oh, uh, one more thing I want to say about, about Thanos coming in and murdering Asgard uh, for the most part and killing Loki is that you know, they'd been building up and they had a lot to pay off on here to make Thanos a credible villain because he had just been talked about as being big and scary. Uh, he was he was literally just a, a face at the end of, of Avengers. Uh, he had two scenes in Guardians of the Galaxy and then they talked about him some more in Guardians 2 and he had the, the uh, credit scene in Age of Ultron where he picks up the Infinity Gauntlet. And says, I'll do it myself. And we're like, oh boy, Thanos. But nothing to really show. Aside from it, I think we talked about this in the Guardians 2 episode. (laughs) The best characterization he ever got up to this point was Nebula talking about what Thanos did to her. Uh, And that was really the most evil we had ever even heard of him being. Uh, So 
they had a lot and I th- a lot of people i think were skeptical going in that they could pull off thanos yep. because it felt like they'd been building him up but not really just like more like telling you oh and thanos he's scary was watch out for thanos oh no yeah exactly it was all telling us how scary thanos was but then they went and showed it in the first few minutes and it was like okay i re- i remember watching it my first reaction was i can't wait for him to die <laughs> like right. i was like it is going to be so satisfying when they get this when they get this guy <laughs> You can, call you can say son of a bitch. Of a bitch. You, you're you're oh, allowed man. to legally. I know. I, I couldn't think of what oh, word no. I wanted to say. Uh, so it just sort of came out as eh. So Okay. Well. I think bastard is where my brain was actually going. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it almost came out as basthole. Um, <laughs> this grimace looking bastard. Yeah. All right. So at this point, Thanos and the Black Order depart using the Space Stone and destroying the ship with the Power Stone as Thor mourns over Loki's body. Sad. Now, Robbie, you were my brother, Loki. I loved you. <laughs> Loki, you think Loki could have had a bigger, uh, bigger role in this film? I do. Um, I will say through our discussion, I start abandoning my um, my feelings on this a little bit. Uh, so oh. I don't know that I feel strongly. Um, we should still talk about that because yes, I, I had oh, the exact absolutely. same thought when I first read Infinity yes. Gauntlet. And so I'm happy to talk, talk about, about it. it. I'm just going to preface it with I don't feel as strongly about this as I did two minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> so, when the movie was coming out, one of the things that was being developed, um, one of the things a lot of people talked about, and we talked about this on last episode, was is is Hella gonna be or Hell yeah, uh, gonna be <laughs> Hell yeah? <laughs> is she gonna be Lady Death? Um, and she didn't end up being, and that's not a huge deal. Um, and another thing people talked about, is Loki going to be Mephisto? Uh, if you have not read the Infinity Gauntlet, uh, Mephisto, which is basically literally the devil in the Marvel comics, he spends the whole comic um, kind of guiding Thanos, hanging out with him, uh, giving him uh, bad advice. Um, he's just trying to be close to power. He's got a silver tongue. He's manipulating Thanos. I mean, the whole time what he's really trying to do is get the gauntlet for himself. Um and I thought that he's role the one that be... convinces Thanos to do the snap. To do the right? snap, yes, yes. Yeah, he's yes. like, oh, you know what? It impress her. Yes, it's <laughs> yeah. killing half the known universe. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so I thought that would be Loki's role in this. I now I will say when they told me that something bad was going to happen, um, basically as soon as the movie started and I realized that something bad would have to happen on the ship, I assumed it was going to be Loki. So two minutes in the movie, I knew Loki was dying. But prior to that, I thought he might uh, serve that Mephisto role and just spend the movie hanging out with Thanos, trying to, to to manipulate Thanos, pretending he's loyal to Thanos. And it could be either either he's trying to get power for himself, get the gauntlet for himself, um, or, or, or maybe even both, or trying to figure out a way to get rid of Thanos to protect Thor and, and the other Asgardians now that he's a hero. Um, which is what it looks like he's trying to do in this yes, movie that's too, the which thing. I think is in, great. Is that... in, yeah, in that moment, in when he is swearing that loyalty to Thor, I got wrapped up into, oh, here we go, he's gonna, or they're swearing that loyalty, loyalty to Thanos, sorry. I, I got wrapped up in, oh, here we go, it's gonna be Loki is, is pretending to be loyal to Thanos to, to get something out of him. And I'm sad that didn't happen because that would have just meant we had a whole movie of tom hiddleston lying to thanos and being tom hiddleston and man i would have loved that mm-hmm. um and it would have been been a great homage to 
um, the source material. Although what they did instead was they gave a bunch of Mephisto lines to Ebony Ma, which is just fine. That's also great. Um, and I, I just think it would have been great. It would have been very interesting. And it's, it's almost like an alternate cut of the film I would have wanted to see. I do accept that Thor's motivations would have basically had to change. Um, I, I think you'd still have a motivated Thor because you'd have the, you know, the death of Heimdall and the death of all his people and everything else that's happened, but it wouldn't be quite as strong as watching the brutal death of his brother. We also talked about how important that brutal death was. So I definitely don't think the movie's ruined. I just really would have liked to see a whole film of Loki being the Mephisto of this movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it would be interesting to see how it would have gone, but you totally understand why they made the choice they did. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Insert the Mandarin here. Insert. What was the other one that we basically said the exact same thing about? Um, there was another character where we said the same thing where we wanted it, but it's okay uh, that it didn't. Right. Hella as, as death. Yeah. I think it was one that we talked Hella about. Hella like as death. That. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, let and... me defend myself for just one second. And I don't know how much of a defense this really is. What are you defending Hellia, yourself from? Oh. Hellia is basically Hella in, it's like a, it, it's a, it's a real character in World of Warcraft. Oh, and okay. They call her Hellia in World of Warcraft, and she's basically the exact so same. She's, she's like the, 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 their version of Norse goddess of death or whatever. But she, <laughs> she is a character, and it is Hellia over there, which is where I got it. And I didn't just make it up and yeah, just start. But, Today I learned. <laughs> but she's in like one dungeon that you played like maybe 10 times. You're right. And I constantly <laughs> brush up on my Norse mythology. So I would have always known. I know. That's why it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'll also say real quick. <laughs> I will also say real quick. I've spent several episodes now talking about how I never really bought into the uh, the Loki heel turn, good heel turn towards being a legitimate hero. Um, and so I honestly, that's part Face of turn. probably where I'm coming on this is I still have trouble accepting that Loki. Now I think on the rewatch, I end up accepting it better because I just watched Ragnarok. Um, we're watching this all together. We've talked it out. And so I think I accept it better than I did when it first came out. In Marvel Avengers Alliance, Loki was a good guy. Okay. I accept that doesn't it. make sense. Well, I think there's still there's still more Loki to be had because we've got the season, we got Loki. Yeah, we have the show yes. coming up, so that'll be fun. Uh, all I want is for the show to make me go, wow, wow. <laughs> oh, I think it will. <laughs> I think uh, it will. And, and real, real quickly, while we're talking about Mephisto, I, I'm hoping that Mephisto will end up in the Doctor Strange sequel, and the rumors now that Sam Raimi might be uh, directing that one. I'm down. Which is. So I saw someone say Bruce Campbell from Mephisto, and that's all I want now. <laughs> oh, man. And we'll have a Sam Raimi podcast that doesn't suck. Yes. Hey. And maybe Spider-Man will be <laughs> in right. the new Doctor Strange movie. Be a great do-over. <laughs> yeah. If he makes him do the hair. Then, you know. Do the dance. He could make him dance as a joke. <laughs> Make a little love. <laughs> you know, we would all love it if that happened, though, right? Isn't that, isn't that weird how easily oh, forgiven things are? Oh, yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, so at this point, the Hulk hurdles across the galaxy through the Bifrost, crashing into the stairs of the Sanctum Santorum in front of Wong and Doctor Strange, proclaiming, 
Thanos is coming as he returns to Bruce Banner. And I need to talk about this scene. So my wife for maybe it was my birthday last year, got me infinity gauntlet to read. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember as soon as I read this, I immediately texted to this group chat and I was like, Holy crap. This is literally from the comic book. They Mm -hmm. replaced obviously silver surfer with the Hulk, but it's literally it's like shot for shot. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thing. The angle up straight down into the hole in the stairs Mm -hmm. with him lying there going, Thanos is coming. (laughs) That was perfect. Perfect. It's so good. It's exactly the same. I actually had forgotten. I, I, I read infinity gauntlet actually a few years before infinity war came out. Um, I, I got Infinity Gauntlet like shortly after Avengers came out, so I read it early on. So I missed some of the subtle, and even some of the not so subtle, like direct callbacks. To, I mean, I caught a few definitely, but that was one that escaped me until someone pointed out afterwards. Like, oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> this movie was clearly made to be an original story, but by people who love the yeah. source, and I, I and, really like the way they used it. And and. Um, I thought this actually when we were talking about using Loki as Mephisto, uh, this is just a great example of the filmmakers and producers and creative people at Marvel Studios knowing when to be beholden to the comics and when to tell their own story mm-hmm. and when to take things from the comics and make it work their own way and yep. when to deviate. And I, and I think it's, and we've talked about this before, but it's kind of silly how people kind of reductively say the Marvel movies are good because they're true to the comics because you can, make a laundry list of changes that they've made. They just make really smart changes. It's just that I think they're true in spirit. And yes, I agree. And that's more important than smart. Yes. Yeah. They're they're, they're they're true true to to the the spirit spirit. and not to the letter. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difficult part and why Marvel has been so successful, because how do you define what true to spirit even is, right? Like what is the spirit of a comic, right? Like it is just this sort of ephemeral type, (laughs) like you can't, quantify it like it is just a thing that you have to know right especially these characters who have decades of history yes right you know and maybe it's true to um you know ramita's spider-man or Mm -hmm. or, you know or uh, but not to dan slot's spider-man or who you know who knows or or bendis's spider-man uh you know they're (laughs) i don't know just saying that you know all these different creators came through and left their mark on these characters and right you can divide up you know people look at at the different eras by the different writers of who wrote these characters. And the same thing is happening in the movies now. Um, But, you know, your hope is that in the comics, they're going to keep writing new stories and not just retelling all the old ones. And the same should be for the movies. Uh, Cause there are a lot more people watching these movies than there are reading the comics for, uh, for better or worse, you know, that they need to reach a much wider audience. That's movies. Movies are the big form event of, uh, of, entertainment uh mm-hmm. like this so you know why tell the same story when you can take those building blocks and tell a you know your own story right so at this point in central park you see tony stark discussing his upcoming wedding and having children with pepper pots but is interrupted by dr strange and reunited with banner oh and he mentions that i dreamed it was named after your uncle morgan <laughs> i noticed that too yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I have said this on the podcast before, but I will say this is the most chemistry I've ever seen between Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. They play off each other very well in this scene. They finally got it right. I agree with you, but I right. don't agree with your whole stance on it. But we've talked about that. So <laughs> yeah. we've talked about it. But I will say yeah. at this point, 
I'm fi- I, at this point, I buy into it. I buy into them and their chemistry. Um, so in the Sanctum, Wong explains the Infinity Stones, and Banner tells the trio about Thanos and his march across the galaxy, diminishing life on planets by half as he goes. Strange reveals his possession of the Time Stone within the Eye of Agamotto hanging from his neck. Stark argues that he should hide it, and Strange argues that they need it. The group surmises Thanos is coming for that stone, as well as the Mind Stone inside Vision's cranium. Banner asks where Vision is, and Stark explains he has been out of communication for a couple weeks. When asked who can find Vision, Stark answers Steve Rogers can, but informs Banner and the Avengers breaking up and not being on speaking terms with Rogers. I love this whole bit of Bruce getting caught up on everything that's happened since he's been gone since the end of Age of Ultron. So, Tony, you lost another Superbot and then broke up like a band, like the Beatles? (laughs) I remember in in theaters it was this moment for me of because i hadn't done a rewatch before the movies i remember like oh yeah i like yes i remember civil war but it had not as i'm engrossed in the movie like remembered oh yeah they're gonna have to somehow get captain america and and iron man back together like they are broken up like the beatles Uh and that's one of the things that's really interesting on rewatch because on rewatch it just feels like yeah okay that just happened like yeah also missed opportunity for a tie-in with ben and jerry's here (laughs) They yes. mentioned the Stark raving yeah. and the hunka hulka burning fudge. And the fact that Ben and Jerry's and Marvel did not team up to release these flavors is just the worst. Mm-hmm. I can't, I honestly can't believe it. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's a damn shame. It is. But I digress. It's a damn poor mind indeed. They can't think of at least two <laughs> ways to spell a word. <laughs> <laughs> That is a deep cut. That is is a deep cut. Oh, you presidential history fans out there. (laughs) Wow. So at Banner's insistence, Starks pulls out the cell phone given to him by Rogers at the end of Civil War and starts to call Rogers before the group notices objects flying through the air as a spaceship arrives above Manhattan, probably giving um, Tony some PTSD. Honestly, undoubtedly giving Tony PTSD. Yes. Um, On a school bus, Peter Parker's spider senses kick in, and he notices the ship with a distraction from Ned Leeds. Parker leaps from the bus, puts on his spider suit, and swings into action. Fantastic cameo from Mr. Stanley, Mm -hmm. by the way. You kids have never seen a spaceship before. (laughs) (laughs) Just whenever you get a normal person just pointing out how absurd the, uh, um, (laughs) the, the Marvel Universe is, I enjoy that. The mob demands the time stone. Hold on. Stark, Banner, Strange, and Wong head out to the street and are confronted by the Ebony Maw and the giant call obsidian of the Black Order. The mob demands a time stone, but is attacked by Strange, Wong, and Stark, who reveals a new suit created via nanobots stored on his chest. In my opinion, the opinion of this podcaster, the most boring Iron Man suit. Agreed! Um, oh, agreed! You know what? I... Actually, agree with you on that. Oh, one. I thought you loved it. I actually thought no, you liked this. I like it, but compared to all the other ones, and given their time when each iteration of the suit came out, um, I don't know. Like, it's a cool concept, mm-hmm. but visually, it's just like okay, now he's got his suit on. Well, and I I buy it as the natural progression of how technology has come through in these films, but we've already had the discussion where I really miss 
just because it makes sense doesn't mean I like it more than the clunky suit that he had to work to put on yeah. and have machines. You know machines what it's like? Because I really, I really like the version of his suit from Iron Man 3. I like all of the pieces individually coming to him. I think that's mm-hmm. cool. But the like way that it happens in this is almost like you're playing a video game yes. where at any given point you can change what armor your yes. character is wearing. And he like opens up the menu real quick and he just puts on his Iron Man suit and then he's not wearing his jumpsuit anymore. Yes. Like playing Zelda and yeah, you're about to die and you're like, hang on, yeah. let me and pause the game and eat this salmon. And yes, I never exactly. I always with matter displacement. Same thing for the Black Panther suit. Like not the suit he has in Civil War, but the suit he eventually gets in this thing. I always have this matter displacement of like how did all of that expand like that and yeah. can take the hit of a giant space alien without crumpling and yet is not too heavy for them to just wear? Like, Yeah, that's got to have some messed up yeah. ramifications yeah. of the uh, circulatory and other body systems mm-hmm. that you possess. I will say this is not my favorite Iron Man suit just from a pure design standpoint, but one thing I noticed watching it this time that I think is really cool and doesn't really come about until the end when he's fighting Thanos and you know chunks of it are getting thrown off the way it shifts to protect different parts of his body like he's running out of suit so like it'll come off of his leg and move up to his arm or or that you know, part or is shift cool. around and protect yes. him like okay yeah, that's yeah. actually really it's a really neat use of that yeah i didn't catch that, that first time and it's pretty cool and like i said i like the suit for that reason and other reasons i just don't think the reveal of him putting on the suit is as cool as most of the other ones. I agree. Yeah. Right, because that's like an event, right? Iron Man yeah. putting on the Iron Man suit is like a big part of like that character. It's just yeah. like one of the cooler things yes. that happens with that character. Yep. So, I was like, well, T'Challa gets this, so uh, I guess Tony can have it too. That's, right. that's exactly <laughs> how I felt the first time. I go, oh, they gave him the Black Panther armor. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it is what it is. Um, Banner attempts to Hulk out. But he's unable to do so, and Strange deposits him elsewhere Some via portal. Issues, you know. <laughs> yeah. The call knocks Iron Man into Washington Square Park. Where three of us have hung out together, by the way. Not With the sacks. <laughs> With wow. the sacks. The sacks on Fifth Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the call knocks Iron Man into Washington Square Park and is stopped from a crushing blow by the timely arrival of your friendly neighborhood spider-man how great is that too yes i love that oh it's a good reveal and he plays so strong (laughs) he plays so well with just basically literally every other character Uh um and i don't know who wants to go first but basically literally everybody wants to talk about spider-man at this point (laughs) i want to talk about whoever would like to have you know this but i want to talk about spider-man We'll we'll, we'll let Robbie go, I think. Don't worry. No Mary Jane talk will be happening in this podcast. Um, Except for that. I'm sure my wife could confirm that But when the spider scent showed up and he jumps out of the bus and when he shows up stopping Cole Obsidian, like I was squealing in the theater over how excited I was over Spider-Man. And then as the movie goes on, I genuinely believe, and we have talked about on this podcast, my opinions on characterizations of Spider-Man on film – I genuinely believe this is the best characterization of Spider-Man that the MCU has had, saving for possibly a future film we're going to talk about. Possibly, I'm not sure. Um, At the time, definitely the best. And it's just, it it starts from his reveal. It starts with, you heard me talk about how I was so mad the Sony film underrated his strength, although they did have the the end sequence of him lifting a building, but of not having spider sense. And 
it felt like, and you remember we had the directors talking about, well, we're not really sure how to do Spider-Sense. The Russo brothers just did it perfectly. Just the hair stands up and he sees something that's not there. Perfect. Spider-Sense. Done. You understand it. You know the character. And they represented it perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. Um, and then, then he shows up and this dude who's beaten around Iron Man, he just stops him from, from landing a crushing blow. And he's hilarious. And he won't stop talking. It just mm-hmm. felt like Spider-Man. And it felt like when Spider-Man shows up in crossover events, like Infinity Gauntlet, because he's always a little bit out of place. Um, Spider-Man is always interesting because he treats himself, and is treated a lot of times by his writers, as like street level. Eh, he just he can handle routine crime and low-level thugs, when actually Spider-Man's power set is real OP. And that shows yeah, up, he's... because when he ends up being in crossovers, that becomes apparent that Spider-Man can can hang out with Thor and Captain America and well not not Captain America but Thor and Iron Man. He just doesn't because he doesn't doesn't it's just kind of out of his his comfort zone. And that's what this movie feels like. It feels like Peter Parker and Spider-Man absolutely belong in this story. It's just Peter Parker and Spider-Man don't necessarily feel like they belong in this story. They just do it because or he just does it out of um a sense of obligation which um, Peaches wanted to talk about the line, so I'll let him deliver the line, but I love it too because um, it's perfect. And I just... His... his All of his actions are great. He looks like Spider-Man. He moves like Spider-Man. He feels like Spider-Man. And it gives me... He's sharing a film with, I think, I think the Russo brothers said in the commentary, and I hadn't thought about it, 25 other superheroes in this movie. And he holds his own just perfectly, which is amazing. And it just felt like, despite the fact that it was an ensemble piece, the most rewarded I've ever been about, again, like I've said on other episodes, probably my favorite fictional um, character. And I just, I, I'm i so happy about how great he is. And then, then the Iron Spider reveal, they gave us the classic spider suit, but then bust out Iron Spider. Um, and they, they, they just busted it out really fairly similar to why it existed in the comics as well, just in a different um, storyline. And... As a side note, <laughs> you sound but, like you've just experienced Nirvana. I'm sorry. It's just I, <laughs> I have not gotten sick of the Spider-Man scenes in this film yet, and I've I've probably watched Infinity War now a couple dozen times. No, okay, maybe mm-hmm. not a couple dozen, but definitely more than a dozen times. And I don't get sick of the Spider-Man scenes. I also, while we're on it, um, that's what ends up being why this movie, why I, why I love this movie so much. Because um, not just Spider-Man, it's we've also on this podcast I've talked about how much I love Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Who, and he has a lot of great moments. In this. Doctor Strange, Doctor Who, <laughs> do you love it? That's a that's a different. We're not doctor. cutting that I've out. I've never even watched Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, well, Doctor Strange, Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. Yeah, I have to now. Um, obviously, I spent a lot of time talking about how much I love the Guardians, um, and they have a lot of great moments in this film. And so, really, my favorite MCU characters have big big parts in this and you know both entertaining and hilarious parts and for obvious reasons they end up not having those moments in endgame so this is a little bit spoilery but i think that spider-man and the guardians and doctor strange are like the hair that gets split to decide which of the two um crossovers i like more um between infinity war and endgame but um spider-man is amazing um peaches do you disagree no, not at all. I, and I also like that you um, you go between those two characters specifically because they interact with each other. Yes. I like that about yes. that uh, about their dynamic. And oh, we're using you know, our made up names. Yeah, there's oh, a, yeah. <laughs> there's a the, what is it? There's a 
an alien trying to steal a necklace from a wizard or whatever yes, whatever yeah, the yeah. Plot <laughs> is. like he's yeah yeah tony getting him caught up on what's, what's going on he's from space he came to steal a necklace from a wizard i wrote yes. that one down because i like that i just love i think that's the so best much. line in the movie and i, I just it might be good lines. i really I yeah. love the way that they interact in basically every sense, but Spider-Man specifically to me feels like he grew up. Um, and I, again, wasn't, I, I didn't get to be on the homecoming episode cause I was dying. Um, you didn't, didn't miss work, anything. Sadly. <laughs> no, I did. I really wanted to say a lot because I rate, I, I really oh, adore that movie. I'm so but sad think, that you were not on that episode. It's and great from this podcast. But, but I think that he grew up a lot in the span of that movie, but it really shows right at the beginning of infinity war, how much he grew up, like how much he learned from just his experience in his, his origin, if you will. And I just think he's like you said, he's very Spider-Man like he he shows up and he is exactly what you'd expect him to be in a fresh and exciting way. And this doesn't happen for a while. But the thing that like knocks it out of the park for me is when they are on the spaceship. First of all, another great Spider-Man characteristic of he got himself into uh, an impossible situation. He is now in space. Uh, and he doesn't back off. He stays there because he knows that somebody might need him. Um, and he yeah, specifically says, after Tony tries to send him home, right? He's like, and he nope. says to Tony in response to them arguing about being here that there's no friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no more neighborhood. And to me, that's that's a line that just embodies his character so Absolutely. well. And it, like, it's a line that gives me chills when I hear it because it's just like, ooh. I was so like sold on this kiss. movie when he said that. I was just so completely sold on the movie. But I don't. And it actually don't... works on Tony too. That mm-hmm. line, which is just that's how good it is. <laughs> and I, it's funny that it's kind of a Marvel callback specifically to Tony because Tony is the first one that used that line to Peter when yeah, he said, "Try right. to be more of a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Dude, I'm trying to, but if there's no neighborhood, what, what's a, what's a guy gonna do?" Anyway, I don't have a lot more to say um, that Robbie didn't say. I just he's just such a wholesome, good character that I w- I would like Spider Man in every MCU film. Like yeah. he could be the the new Iron Man that I just happens too. to be interspersed in every film, and I'd love it. So, and to that point you just said about that line and how it works on Tony and how it um, one of the things the Russo brothers talk about in the commentary is they work through this idea of giving pardon me. They work through this idea of giving every character like a one sentence thesis statement for why are they in this story? Um, they wanted every character to just deliver quickly what is their 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 connection to what you know is going on with Thanos, um, and that was they specifically are talking about that around that line around Spider Man. It's such a great Peter Parker line that uses an iconic phrase that sells the character and sells why he's here. Um, and when they brought that up, I just started thinking through. Yeah, everyone gets that. I think he has the best example. But that's mm-hmm. something they did in this film because they talked about talked about in some of the early drafts of the film, they were going to introduce everyone and, you know, live in their day-to-day lives. And then they realized that now that's too long. And so they basically just had everyone get plucked, you know, except for a couple examples like um Wong and uh and Doctor Strange and and Pepper and and Tony. Everyone appears when they're pulled into the story. And so what they needed to do was why are they in the story? And and I think this is going to be kind of the theme of this episode, but they just did such a good job of that. Um, and one other thing about more great greatness about Spider-Man is just 
they get all those little Spider-Man ticks right, you know, how he looks climbing up a wall, hanging upside down from webbing. Um, and then his fight with Thanos is just so good with the talking and, and the flying kicks and like, it just... Magic. Yes. More magic. Yes. <laughs> magic with a kick. But then also a little moment that is just so, so Spider-Man. Um, and I, I don't, I think it's kind of underrated, but it just works out so well is when he's got to stop everything to save all the guardians when they're getting knocked around at the end. Um, when he's jumping around, I'm sorry, I don't remember your names. And, yeah. and but he's stopping to save people who That's he just Spider-Man. met, which is so Peter Parker. And it's done in such a Peter Parker way of still being, a mouthy idiot about it but <laughs> it's <sighs> i also really appreciated watching that that scene in particular i know we're jumping around a little bit of uh, the acrobatics in that scene where yes. he he'll, he throws like mantis mm-hmm. into the air because they're about to crash into something yes. the momentum carries her over he goes through it and then he catches her again mm-hmm. you know and that's like that's the kind of cool spider-man thing you want to see i want a russo uh, brothers spider-man movie now oh yeah they um you know Spider-Man is a comic character, but of all of, of all of the comic book characters, I feel like he is the one who benefits most from being able to actually be seen in motion when they get him right. Mm-hmm. I agree. At this point, Iron Man explains to Spider-Man that the Cole is a space alien and is attempting to steal a necklace from a wizard. Banner <laughs> continues to try to Hulk out, and the Hulk briefly appears only to voice his refusal. No. The Mon Strange fight... The Ma is able to subdue Strange, but is unable to pull the eye off due to an enchantment. Strange is then rescued via the Cloak of Levitation. Spider-Man pursues Strange, but the Ma's ship catches them both in a tractor beam with Strange on board. The ship starts to fly away, with Parker clinging to the outside. Iron Man activates the Iron Spider armor seen at the end of Homecoming to catch Peter to stop him from dying from lack of oxygen. The armor and its abilities are almost directly taken from the comic book run Civil War, Designed in those pages by Tony Stark to help Spider-Man with re- with enforcing the Superhero Registration Act, um, and at that point, he, uh, Peter per- Spider-Man is revealed that he's Peter Parker in the Civil War comic, right? Like he reveals he's Peter Parker, yes, yes, and then yeah. um, then he gets the Iron Spider suit. Um, Iron Man boards the ship as it leaves the atmosphere, telling Pepper over the phone he'll be late for dinner. At this point, I thought Iron Man was dead. I thought Tony Stark was dead at this point. Um, because he was like, oh, I'll just see, like, I'll be back later. I'll see you. It felt like that was like a goodbye almost. It's a very ominous, like, right. Like here's some foreshadowing. And again, going to the commentary, I think they did that on purpose because they talked about how much they spent time knowing what an audience is going to think and then trying to do not that thing. Like they intentionally were baiting you constantly into, well, that guy's going to die. This thing's going to happen. Um, and then not having it happen. See, I wasn't expecting any being... major deaths until <laughs> Endgame. I, oh, boy. We're all masters uh, of that at this point, I'd say. I'm just saying we're really good at it. That's. I'm just saying we're talented in the act of being baited. What no. is, well, I don't understand why there's silence. <laughs> um, don't you guys yeah. think we're good at it? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I was just Thank saying you. that I... I, I I wasn't expecting Tony or Steve to die. And if either one of them was going to die, I figured it would be happening in Endgame because it just felt like, you know, if Endgame is going to be the culmination of everything that you needed those characters to make it to that. And then when we got to the skipping to the end, when 
when Thanos snaps and all of the original Avengers survive, it's like, okay, of course, Endgame has to end with the original team, one last hurrah. Like, it makes sense from a storytelling standpoint. But you're right, sure. in the moment, you're like, oh man, the, the, it does seem like they're foreshadowing. So uh, I'll tell doom. you. So I'll tell you why my Deadpool went the way it went. And I realized while we were talking about this that I was wrong. I didn't put Hawkeye on there. I put Vision on there because Vision, like, no shit, he's going to die. Oh, yeah. He's got an Infinity Stone in his head. Yeah. So, um, So actually, it was at that this point that we're talking about in the movie where I was, because I was thinking about the Deadpool the whole time, <laughs> like, that I was like, oh, shit. Like, maybe it's the other one. Because like we said, it was between Steve and Tony. My original thought, and I'm curious to know what you guys, if you guys do this before movies come out, if you like try to guess the plot, my original thought was that um, Steve would die in Infinity War because of something he was doing to protect Tony from dying, which would have given Tony the motivation to take out Thanos in Endgame. So I thought it was a two-parter where Steve was going to die in part one, and then that motivation going forward would, you know, help everybody defeat Thanos. That's that was my thought. That makes sense. I did think that if there was go- if one of them was going to die in Infinity War, it was going to be saving the other because it was yeah. going to be the resolution of Civil War. Right. Like reflective because, of their fight. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like that needed to like they needed something to put them past that. And, and a noble sacrifice certainly would have been a way to do that. But I'm not upset with the way it turned out. Oh yeah, no, 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 not but at all. That was just my my OG guess. I think both those characters got perfect endings. Yes, but that comes later. So unknown to uh, Iron Man, Spider Man fights off a parachute deployed by Stark and also boards the ship. Wong retreats to the Sanctum while Banner finds Stark's phone. <gasps> Wong pieces out, <laughs> <laughs> not to be seen again until Endgame. Yep. <laughs> He's like, sorry, I gotta go protect our shit. Like, yeah. we left it unprotected. I gotta go protect it, man. Sorry. That, that was a great meme that came out <laughs> that came about after that movie. It was Wong leaving. There are so many memes that uh, came out of this movie. Like, the what did it cost everything meme. Everything. Like, yes, that's the one I think so of. so many memes out of <laughs> yeah. this movie. Um, I'm also a fan of, let me guess, your home. Yes, yes. Let me guess, your home is the one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that ended up being the greatest so we get the card in space the guardians of the galaxy are answering the distress call heard at the start of the film space <laughs> yes and i told chris this um behind the scenes but for everyone uh listening the russo brothers admitted that they used the space title card as a self-deprecating jab at how much they use title cards so they literally just use a title card that said space as an in joke, <laughs> they do use title cards a lot. <laughs> um, so we get the Guardians of the Galaxy rubber band man by the spinners plays. This is one of my favorite scenes in the whole yes. movie. Oh, it's, it's just great! It's great. The Guardians just like chilling, singing, having a good time. It's because of Mantis' like, just... mean face, right? Oh yes, <laughs> get your mean faces on. <laughs> just in the background. She's just in the background. Notice frame, it like the third time ridiculous. I saw it. It's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, I really Star-Lord like Star Lord and Gamora's interplay. I'm like, oh, I yeah, really we'll do like it. Uh, <laughs> potty mouth Groot. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you got some acorns on you, kid. 
I just really like that whole interaction. I like Drax sleeping through all the music. Uh-huh. I like I like it all. It's all just love, so good. Gamora, Gamora kind of finally opening dancing. up a little. Yeah, yeah. yeah the idea that, was... that Gamora has started to appreciate Earth music and is singing along. Like that's one of those little things. I will be talking more about Gamora. That is one yeah. of the things I love about Gamora in this movie. That is a great just a split second of characterization because. Mm-hmm chronologically we have not seen the guardians of the galaxy for years at this point it has been a couple years they've been together mm-hmm. uh because even though two years guardians according to 2, the commentary yeah yeah because yeah because guardians 2 takes place just a couple months after guardians 1 um so so even though it has only been you know just a couple movies since guardians 2 came out that is actually set to uh, as you said two years before infinity war so a lot has happened with the guardians of the galaxy mm-hmm. since then uh which is why quill and gamora are now officially together right and stuff like that and Groot is older and mm-hmm. all that fun stuff so the milano crashes into thor who survived the explosion the Guardians bring Thor aboard and marvel at his strength and ability to survive <laughs> to Peter Quill's jealousy. <laughs> no, you are a dude. This. This, this is a man. man. <laughs> this is it's my real voice. <laughs> oh, by the way, this is... Um, we'll never oh, know. he broke. It's not the Milano. Buffering. Oh, it's not the Milano. It is... Uh, it's it is, at this point it has become uh, it's the Benatar. My bad. They left the uh, damaged Milano on Burhurt in uh, in Guardians Two, so now they have the Benatar. The Benatar crashes into Thor, who survived the explosion. <laughs> <laughs> the notes definitely say the Benatar. They do. Yeah. I, I'm reading them. Nobody uh. changed those notes. <laughs> Thor awakens and tells the Guardians about his encounter. He's not wearing his with, glasses. <laughs> with Thanos to Gamora's horror. Gamora explains Thanos' motivation is to destroy half of all life in the universe and that he could do it with the snap of his fingers if he obtains all six Infinity <clears throat> Stones. Thor explains Thanos slaughtered half his people in acquiring the Space Stone and also half of Xandar in acquiring the Power Stone. He never says half of Xandar. He says he decimated Xandar. Yes, because... The people behind the MCU do not understand that decimated mean, means re- uh, eliminating by a tenth. They just use it for getting rid of a bunch of stuff. Right. I, I don't believe, though, that, like, because we, and I am sure we'll talk about this, because the psychology of Thanos is, like, a thing that people really like to get into uh-huh. regarding whether he was right or not, like, ethically and that sort of thing, too. I wouldn't be surprised if he did wipe out all of Xandar, because underneath this like calculating mind that he has he also can sometimes get a little ragey and they are a big enemy for him maybe he did take everybody out like maybe he did decimate them not everything i mean not everything has to be completely calculated maybe in his kind of twisted mind he completely decimates one planet and does not touch another one of equal population but decimating would be less than half yeah, it's true. Decimating is one in ten. Oh, is it? Yes. I didn't know yes. that. Yeah, I didn't know that there was a. That's the historical route. Oh man, the the Roman army. That's I understand why. deaths now. Deaths meaning ten. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's why oh, I use the decimation. Mate coming the from people. Mocked, wow. People mocked using. The I learned something to today. Mm-hmm. 
What I'm hoping is that maybe he did decimate Xandar, and we finally get Richard Ryder. Yes. Oh, Because yeah. I would really, yeah. really like to see Nova. And Same. Nova and Peter Quill specifically. Same. I know they're going to be doing Adam Warlock There's in Guardians room for 3. Nova. There's room for Nova. There has to be room for Nova, wow. right? I can't use decimate in sentences anymore. It just doesn't make sense. You can. Oh, you can, as long as it's... But they have to be very specific <laughs> sentences. In very specific circumstances, you can say decimate. So basically, anytime we use the word decimate from now on, it's going to be like a treasure. Like, wow, we get to use this word. <laughs> Somebody has done the math, and we get to use this word. Wow, so, okay. I was great. cutting potatoes, and my knife slipped, I lose 20 and my pounds. hands I decimated. decimated. My weight. You lost oh. a finger. <laughs> my hands were decimated. <laughs> so uh, he tells them that the reality stone is with the collector of nowhere on nowhere and that's where thanos is heading that the mind and time stones are safe with the avengers and that no one knows where the soul stone is um thor takes an escape pod with rocket raccoon and teenage Groot. sweet rabbit. To... <laughs> somebody pronounce that for me nidavalier gesundheit and asgardian weapons forge to obtain a uh, replacement from Mjolnir. okay Let's pause right here. Quick pause, because I I understand Taika Waititi and the Thor Ragnarok crew were kind of involved in this, and a lot of this made sense, blah, 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 blah. But isn't it weird that a big part of Thor Ragnarok was like this idea that you don't need some sort of outside presence, that the power is actually within you, that you are the power. And then the first thing Thor does in this movie is go find an outside force to give him power. Yes. No. No. Okay. Well, he got an outside force for killing. Yeah. He, his outside force his okay his adversary when he learned this lesson was hella or helia however you feel like saying it depends if you're playing world which, of warcraft or not which is hella is a threat but not even close to as threatening as thanos and then he comes to this realization you guys just made a face like hella is not less threatening than I thanos i feel like they're pretty pretty equally threatening well one of them had two movies dedicated to how threatening they were (laughs) and one of them had a giant lava monster kill them i think thanos uh, would have been pretty preoccupied with the giant lava monster all i'm saying all i'm saying is he probably viewed thanos as a much bigger threat and felt like he needed more firepower in this case axe power yeah. He, uh, at the beginning of this movie, not only did he see Thanos wipe out half of Asgard, he also saw Thanos defeat the Hulk in single combat. And you'll notice Thanos did not use the gauntlet at all. Mm-hmm. The stone True. never lit up. He just, with his own strength, defeated the Hulk like it was nothing. Also mentioned in the commentary. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> I now at this point think that you did the commentary. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to, though. I no, as in, I believe you wrote the commentary. Oh, oh, I yeah. There's, I think you could find reasoning for it, but I do still find it just a little strange. No, because by this point, Thanos now has two Infinity Stones. So, uh, like like uh, Banner says at the beginning, that with him having two stones, he is now the most powerful being in the universe, and he's just going to get more. So One of them being the Power Stone, which yes. goes right back to, he just beat the Hulk without any help from a stone. Uh-huh. You know, I guess yeah. I mean, 
Thor can summon I... as much lightning as he wants, but but Thanos, who's already impossibly difficult to defeat, now with the power of two infinity stones and counting, you need something. I mean, Thor having an axe is not a bad idea. <laughs> so I pretty much agree with Eduardo in that it does feel like this movie very quickly just like and does Ragnarok. Okay, Ragnarok happened by Ragnarok. Um I can I can understand Thor's motivation of wanting to get something to kill Thanos with. But again, so much of Ragnarok was, well the hammer's cool, but you don't need the hammer. So he's just going to go back to where the hammer was made to get something made at the same place. And so if Thanos is so powerful and doesn't need the hammer, especially having just watched Ragnarok before doing this, it just feels like, hey, what are you going to get there? If if you don't need Mjolnir, and Mjolnir's all-powerful, if Mjolnir's good enough to beat Thanos, you don't need it. If Mjolnir's not good enough to beat Thanos, what are you going to get at Nidavellir that's going to make a difference? Um, it is, that said, agreeing with Eduardo on that, and believing that this movie begins by just undoing Ragnarok, practically, um, or at least making Ragnarok I mean, not, that's... or at least making Ragnarok not matter, um, I do think it's a perfectly entertaining MacGuffin for Thor to be going after to establish his plot. Sure, I don't find it any less entertaining. I just feel like it's a little jarring to sort of be setting up these sort of themes in um, Ragnarok specifically, and then immediately in, you know, regardless of the motivation, immediately in Infinity War, doing the opposite yes. of what was sort of like... Because it's not just like a small thing in Ragnarok. It's like a very large part of the movie. But I don't, I don't like, think that it's, you're Thor, you don't need weapons. It's, you're Thor, the hammer isn't what makes you special. The Thor <laughs> is an extension of the power you already have. Yeah. Sure, but then we go. All right, the hammer is my the power you already have, but you could still have more power if you had this shiny axe hammer thingy. I get, I get that it's like it feels like a one eighty. I just think that the circumstances are so different that you might want a like you might want a little bit of backup. You know, like maybe he does still know that underneath whatever weapon he's holding, he's still Thor, at least for a while until Endgame where he is depressed. But maybe he just wants, you know, you know, a little a little extra inventory item just in case. I will also say I don't think this iteration of Thor, the one specifically from Ragnarok and that is in the beginning of Infinity War, is smart enough to make that distinction. I think this iteration of Thor is a little less on the technical side and more on the power side. And I don't think he's necessarily thinking about what's the best tactical thing to do here. I think Thor is the guy that comes down in a bolt of lightning and messes dudes up. And I think that's maybe, I think a good argument, not that you're not giving good arguments, but I think an argument that I'm just thinking of now is that when we get to see him, he's already been beaten by Thanos. So he has to get something because he's maybe, already probably used his power. So that probably makes not- sense. But maybe him not being the most intelligent version of himself in this story also means that he just forgot the entire lesson he just learned in Thor <laughs> I'd say, if anything, he is. this is a Thor that is... He's now lost everything. And you see that in the conversation he has with Rocket on the pod. Uh, about, with the rabbit? With, yeah, with the rabbit. Yeah, rabbit, how, sorry. Uh, his brother's okay. dead. His best friend is dead. His mother's dead. His father's dead. Uh, half of his people are dead and he's lost just about everything and he is in 
just this deep pit of grief and despair and and he just got his, his you know just got his butt kicked by thanos watched one of his other best friends who should not have gotten his butt kicked get his butt kicked by thanos and he's like the only thing you can think of is well i can't take him on hand to hand i need a weapon i i don't think it's him saying i am not thor without a weapon but it's i can't beat thanos without without something I think it's a specific situation. And I think that's fine, but I think it's just, and maybe it's just a, a, a matter of circumstance that that specific situation came immediately after he learned the lesson kind of being at, uh, opposed to the specific situation. And I think that's the only point that probably Robbie and I are making. Not, I don't think either of us think that it makes the movie lesser for it. I don't think it, no. I don't think it, it, it changes uh, my opinion of this movie at I don't all. Even I just think it's a little jarring. weird. I just still agree with you. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that's some good healthy discussion. Yeah. <laughs> that was not a not a that's side pretty, quest I anticipated. Mild. Yeah, really. <laughs> Maybe this should be three um, parts. <laughs> <laughs> The remaining guardians head to nowhere. Um, in a Scotland part hotel, one, part one. <laughs> uh, Vision talks to Wanda Maximoff about feeling pain in the Mind Stone. Maximoff is in hiding. Vision is off the grid to visit her and is trying to convince her that they should stay together. The two see news of the Black Maw's invasion of New York. Another member of the Black Order, Corvus Glaive, appears and stabs Vision from behind while Proxima Midnight attacks Maximoff. Glaive's spear is able to stop Vision from phasing, and he uses it to attempt to pull the Mind Stone out of Vision. Maximoff holds off the two Black Order members and insists on staying with Vision when he tells her to leave. Cornered while defending an injured Vision, Maximoff gets help in the sudden appearance of Captain America, Falcon, and Black Widow. Yes! Cap's appearance is objectively... All right, I'm going to read this. Robbie, how about you read this? Go for it. Almost got him. I was, I was. You guys ever seen that that um that thing of uh, Charles Barkley reading the teleprompter and saying he's a dumbass? That was about me just now. I'm a dumbass. And they were like, "Cap's appearance. I'm a dumbass." Uh, what I wrote in the notes, trying to get Eduardo to read, was Cap's appearance is objectively the best use of the Avengers theme seen to this point, and I'm putting it in the notes because it has to be said. Also, the spear grab is cool. Um, that said, it is objectively the best use of the Avengers theme. Um, so I'm going to steal Eduardo's thunder and say, Chris, what are your feelings on the music in this sh- in this film? Here we go. I, like I said, my notes were very on brand that I, I was going to talk about the music. And y'all don't mind if I talk about like the whole movie here, right? How dare you? No, talk about whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are, we've already talked about the ending. Uh, but... I, I have both complained about and defended the music in the MCU throughout this whole podcast series. Um, but I feel like this movie in particular put to rest the notion that there are no memorable themes in the MCU. And I think that started with the first trailer for this movie. Do you all remember the first trailer for this? Yes. I don't. I, I will. Actually. I will no, talk. Actually, I will talk you through it because it starts off with a, a like a shot of space and a solitary piano playing like a very slow kind of mournful version of the avengers theme and then they have all the characters reciting fury's speech from the original avengers it starts with him going there was an idea and then tony saying to get a group of remarkable people and it's like all the different characters you know doing saying that speech um 
to fight the battles that we could not and all that. And then it comes in with Thanos talking about, about, you know, I know what it's like to lose and dread it. All these different shots. But run the, from it. Yeah. Dread, run from it. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the line that everyone quotes, but it was never actually put in the movie, which is fun. Is it something yes. one normally thinks about when balancing the universe, but this does put a smile on my face. Uh, but it all builds up to uh, the the shot that was a lie, a damned lie, of everyone in Wakanda, including the Incredible Hulk, running to fight the uh, <laughs> um, the the weird aliens. That part I do remember, yeah. And then it cuts to the Avengers logo, and it plays the like finally with the full orchestra. It builds up to it, and then when they cut to the Avengers logo, and Infinity War appears, uh, it plays the Avengers in the dun 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 dun, and it's like this really big moment. And I get goosebumps. It's one of my favorite trailers uh, in recent years. I think the only trailer that probably beats it for me is the Force Awakens trailer. Um, but but it was great. And and everyone watching it is like, wow, they like not only are they recognizing that hey, this Avengers theme is really great, but they're leaning into people know this theme now, and they know that it's a great theme and what it means. And they built their whole trailer around it. Uh, and which was just really great to see. So this movie, they they brought back Alan Silvestri, who had uh, uh, done the original Avengers movie and also uh, the first Captain America movie. Uh, and he didn't do Age of Ultron, but uh, the Russos brought him back for Infinity War and Endgame. And I'm very, very glad he did. So uh, I said that there are other moments worth noting. Um, and then the one Robbie just talked about. Where the note says Robbie wants to talk about how cool this damn moment is, <laughs> so <laughs> which is uh, it's uh, the the sort of the the other part of the Avengers scene that. That starts playing like when Cap steps out of the shadows and it was an awesome moment. And I also wrote in my notes, the orchestra hit when Sam flies in and kicks Corvus mm-hmm. Glaive. It goes. And it's like right when he kicks him. It's a it's a really cool thing. Uh, another bit, the use of the Wakanda theme uh, when they when Cap says, I yep. know someone. Yep. And you hear yep. the drum start and then it cuts right to Wakanda and it goes. And those drums are starting before he says, like, they, they're they building in. If you know what yes. you're listening to, or you're listening to, oh, Wakanda is next, before he even said uh-huh. it's such a great use. And I have another, I have another one. When you're done, I have another one like okay. that. Sure. Um, yeah, and, and I remember when I saw it in theaters, like, when, when that music started, everyone cheered. It's like, okay, wow, this movie, you know. Black Panther was only a couple months mm-hmm. old at this point. It had come out in February. This is April. Yep. Same for um, me. Everyone cheered. Was, Black Panther was such an enormous hit uh, and like had such an impact that people heard that and they knew exactly what it was. Uh, so it was no surprise when that ended up winning an Oscar <laughs> later. Um, uh, Robbie also has this in his notes waiting for you to start writing about rubber band. Well, so that's my other one. Uh, since you just said it out yeah, loud. Go ahead. Yeah. This movie does such a good job of using everyone's themes. And the Guardians, yes, the Guardians have a theme. But really, when you think about the music in the Guardians, what you think about is the 70s, 80s pop music. And so when Rubber Band Man starts playing, it is not a recognizable theme. But you also still know the same way as the Wakanda drums, oh, Guardians next. You know that's what that song is. You know that's a song the Guardians are listening to on their ship. 
because the bass actually comes in uh the the camera is still on uh on bruce Mm -hmm. banner at this point picking up the phone uh to call steve uh so you hear the it's like oh hang on hang on the guardians are about to show up music is doing Uh, such a good job of living almost like it's in its own film and they they do that with the characterization and the direction and everything but even the music is giving everyone mm-hmm. this feeling the guardians feel like they're in a guardians film and iron man feels like he's in an iron man film and black panther feels like he's in a black panther film they just all mesh together and the yeah. music is part of what does that um and so and- using a pop song that we hadn't heard yet instead of the guardians theme i think it's just such a clever way of doing the guardians yeah, I would have loved to have gotten the Guardians theme in there yes, somewhere in the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think this is the only needle drop in the movie, right? I can't think of any other. Yes, I think songs so. Yes. That used. Yeah. And, and then Endgame with with one exception uh, at the very end. Every other time they use a uh, an out, you know, an existing song as, as a needle drop in Endgame. It is when one of the Guardians is on mm-hmm. is on screen. Uh, so I think that's kind of neat how they kept that consistent. Uh, another one I have is the kid. You're an Avenger now. Uh, uh, when they're on the on the ship, and Tony kind of relents. This is after I the like friendly neighborhood Spider-Man line, and he says, "Kid, you're an Avenger now." And it plays just sort of a hint of the Avengers theme. It kind of goes up. It do- it doesn't give you the full one, but it but it's just enough to make you feel it. Kid, you're an Avenger now. We're going to talk so much about this scene later, I know, but I do have to say the when we finally get the full Avengers theme in all of its glory, when Thor arrives in Wakanda, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite moments in the MCU, probably still would be if Endgame hadn't come out, <laughs> um, but the things in Endgame beat it just by that much. Uh, like, I've never heard a theater cheer as loud, like up to that point, I'd never heard people in a movie theater cheer as loudly for something as they did when the Bifrost shows up in Wakanda uh, and Thor and Rocket appear and Groot Stormbreakers flying mm-hmm. around and the full Avengers theme comes in and all of its glory. And it's a great, it's actually a callback to the, that's my secret cap. I'm always angry because the buildup to the Avengers theme is the dun, 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 dun. So that that that's what it was in the I'm always angry when he starts right before he transforms. That's what you get leading up to this. And then you also get in an endgame for that amazing moment, which we will talk about then uh, in a few weeks. Uh, but that oh, God, that mm-hmm. that scene just like gives me. Good, and 
was actually talking to a friend about this earlier earlier tonight uh, about this scene because um, he had also just watched Endgame a couple days ago, and uh, uh, he's saying that the reason that is still his favorite moment, and it is hard to argue with, is that that was such a great release of tension because like things are going so badly at that point, and then yes, Thor's there is like, oh, everything's right. going to be That's okay when you now. Think the comeuppance and, is coming, and, and yeah, and you get the triumph of the of the theme mm-hmm. too. Um, and then finally, I'm going to talk about the very end of the movie here. Uh, I called it Thanos's theme in the notes. I don't know if it's really Thanos's theme, um, but there it, it is. It's sort of this this string piece, and it's very somber and sad. And the first time you actually hear this theme, it's when Thanos is talking to Doctor Strange, and and Strange says, "Well, what do you do when when you've done?" He goes, "Then I'll finally rest and watch the sun rise on a grateful universe." Uh, but then you do it at the very end after Thanos has won. And he's uh, uh, <laughs> sitting, uh, he, he sits down and smiles. And, and what happens there at the end, uh, the, it's, it's a chord progression uh, called, and I have to shout out Angela uh, for telling me this because she is the music major in the family and she taught me about this. Uh, uh, it's called a plagal cadence, which is also known as an amen cadence. Uh, because it's used in a lot of sacred music, like like in, in, in the classical days, used in a lot of mass settings, uh, and it's the one that goes da da, and, and and but it's a resolution that sounds like a prayer, and the fact that they use that for the final shot after Thanos has wiped out the universe and he sits down and he smiles, and that's what the movie ends on, is just chilling and amazing and fantastic. And then, and then even into the credits, where you're just getting this sad, uh, you know, you're, the theme of the credits is based on that, the Infinity War theme. And it finally ends when the logo appears. And it's not even a fancy version of the logo, because uh, these are the most, it's just white text on a black screen, all these credits, unlike most Marvel movies where you get like a big fancy main on end. Uh, and then the the name Avengers Infinity War appears and you hear a sad piano version of the Avengers theme and then the logo turns into dust and flies away. And it's just such a great, great moment. So, so well done. So I have a question about what you just said about the plagal cadence when Thanos is playing. My interpretation yes, of that, I will do my best. not being a music person, my interpretation is that what the music is going for there is it's playing music like you would hear from a hero who has been successful and has just given it his all and is limping to the finish line at the end of his success, but in a twisted way. Would that be a fair interpretation of what you're hearing? I, th- I think that's a good interpretation. I, I, I kind of interpreted it, as, and, and this is kind of similar. Uh, Thor says to him, "You or no, Loki says to him at the very beginning, you will never mm-hmm. be a god. And in this... Thanos has become right. a god and he has reshaped the universe the way he wants he wants it to been and then he finally gets to take a moment and it is him he reaches the finish right. line it's and it's peaceful it's like our hero has won but like uh-huh. he's not a hero and and winning is bad and the music resonates with that and that's something they were going for in the film and this is something Russo brothers talk about that I've seen them talk about several places is they literally uh-huh. wrote this movie using the beats of the hero's journey just applied to their villain and it yeah thanos is the, is the right. main and character it's so fascinating yeah. 
And I, I'm not one of those people that that is a ah, Thanos' motivations are really understandable, which I don't think is what they want. He is twisted right. and evil and dangerous and scary. Like, he is a villain. He's not the anti-hero of the film, which, okay, a handful of people said, and I don't want to talk to those people. But... A handful is a is a big yes, handful. Like it's a it's a scoop. They're the same people that say yeah. when you're a kid you idolize Batman and you grow up you realize the Joker's right. Those people can also get off my timeline. Um, <laughs> yeah. But regardless, what the Russo brothers did is such an expert way of writing this film around Thanos's quest and his hero and and you know to himself his heroism and and that you know his journey and you know when he starts taking off his armor because this is. This is him moving and being successful. And his success is bad for everyone. He's not the good guy. Yes. But his story beats are like he is the good guy. And the movie ends with him winning. And that music to me hits that note of the good guy has been successful. It's just that success is haunting. He He's the protagonist, right. but he's not yes. the good guy. He's That's... the one that, that pushes the story mm-hmm. along. It's all about what Thanos does. It's... Thanos' journey to find the stones. He finds the stones. He does the snap. Mm-hmm. He's successful. He sits down, and uh, and the music kind of reflects and so, that. And right. it's twisted, and it's it's and I say it's brilliant. And, yeah, and yeah. I said all that just to say it's cool that the music is used to help bring that together too. Um, yeah, yeah, man, and and there's a reason Sylvester's yes. a legend. And you yeah. were talking about the places the Avengers theme is used so well. And something that struck me that I was just in love with watching the commentary is the Russo brothers said very early on when they were first writing the script, it was important to both of them that they write two or three key moments built around the Avengers theme. Like they wrote a moment for the Avengers theme. You know, this this is, we need, we need an Avengers theme theme. They were really worried about, you know, how are we going to introduce Captain America? We need to do it in a thrilling way that uses the theme. And so that scene was built around mm-hmm. the music and about a good Captain America theme, which is to me genius it's great that they did that yeah. and it worked out and it ends up being a cool movement i i really think the captain america m- moment might actually be my favorite mcu moment um which is saying a lot yeah. i also think it's funny ta- having this whole conversation because at least sound lord and i and, and i don't know if you guys were exposed to this um we were exposed to um a uh, someone with a blue check mark on twitter who was talking about <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. It was a cartoonist, I think. Ninja. But it was someone talking about, you know, it's a shame that action movies, other than Pacific Rim, I remember she said Pacific Rim, there is no action movie since the 80s that just has a recognizable um, a recognizable score where you, when you hear that score come up, it's like, yes, that is that action movie. And she just went on this thread about this. And people kept coming in and saying the Avengers theme. So, no, no one recognizes the Avengers theme. And it got to the point she started banning people and blocking people for saying the Avengers theme. And it's just wild to me. There's no way, there's no way you could convince me the Avengers theme is not iconic and recognized. Um, and it's just used so well in here. Yeah. Like I said, that the trailer proved everyone yes. wrong about that. This was after, was this was after that oh, yeah. the movie had, this was after this movie. That's, oh, that's because wild Because people were using the Captain America and the Bring Me Thanos moments as oh, arguments yes. in her <laughs> replies. And she was saying, no, no, people don't recognize, they're not hearing the music in those scenes. They don't recognize the theme that's being played. No, I, I everyone in my theater yes. seemed to. And I wasn't even in Orlando at the time. I was around Pennsylvania mm-hmm. nerds who were like nowhere near the level of Orlando nerds. Oh, man. 
Oh, no one's close to the level of Orlando. I mean, that might not be true, but it feels like no one is close to the level of Orlando. <laughs> Orlando nerds. And, there's and let me else. tell you, that's why I like yeah. living in Orlando. I love that anytime I go to one of these movies, I'm surrounded by people that, like, feel these movies on the same level I do. That is literally, we've talked about, that is one of the things we miss the most about mm-hmm. Orlando is seeing the Marvel mm-hmm. movies and, the, and Star Wars and stuff when they Do you think people from there. other parts of the country realize that Orlando is a bunch of nerds? Like, like is Orlando known as the nerd city? Because it should be. <laughs> it should be. Glaive and Proxima <laughs> barely escaped. I love his transition. And the three I'm sorry, vision. Glaive and, and I thought of Professor Frank from The Simpsons. <laughs> Glaive and! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the three take vision and scarlet witch aboard the quinjet in a flashback gamora's people are split into two halves by thanos's army for half to be slaughtered thanos takes young gamora and talks to her about balance giving her a switchblade knife to balance on her finger a really really great like character moment for thanos i wouldn't say it's like a a good character Mm -hmm. but really great moment to kind of really like show what his motivations are Mm -hmm. why he's doing what he's doing and kind of how he like got gamora on his side right. um, also a great yes. meme <laughs> fantastic meme it's all like so many in this movie it's all played perfectly straight balanced. with thanos but he's clearly disgusting like it's it's yes you Which completely angry, understand but... his viewpoint right. like yes. you completely understand where right. he's coming from and i think that that's right. what makes him a compelling. And I know that made some people. It's kind of what we talked about with Killmonger. I, I know that made some people mad because people wanted this moment of the film, like telling you, no, 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 Thanos is bad. And like, I don't need the film to tell me that. I can tell because he is bad. But, uh-huh. <laughs> right. I don't need the film to right, tell me. People bad. were mad at there. Where were a lot of people that are mad that Thanos never gets his no, no, no bad guy moment from the, you know, from the, the directors. You mean aside from him strangling loki to death right eliminating right half the life in the I think yeah. right away the first thing he right. really does it's people take him as being treated like the hero and they take his love relationship with gamora as you know well he can't he's a bad guy he can't have which those is things. very clearly right. very clearly right. coded as emotional yes, abuse I think. but i think it just seems that a bunch of people just need that like they need the director to like say words to them through the film that the director is on their side that this guy is bad. And it's like, I don't, I think that's obvious to me. <laughs> like they need, like they need a very specific call right. out of this Correct. is an evil Correct. man. Like it, like it'd be similar to saying you needed a specific line from a like a comic book mm-hmm. to say like great power great responsibility or like you needed it to be spelled out that spider sense <laughs> was being implemented in a moment oh, i think spider sense is spelled out just fine in this movie it exists oh we're talking about infinity war i'm sorry i'm sorry i got i got on the wrong train for a second I don't know if it just feels like complaining about a world war ii movie where no one actually says the words and Hitler was exactly. A bad that's person. exactly what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> that's a better yes. parallel. Yeah. It's like it's demonstrated throughout right. the whole right. movie, but you if know, no one whole... says it out loud, then we're tacitly endorsing, right? You know, Crystal Knocked. You know, like, the whole cosmic genocide have... thing didn't do enough. Yeah, maybe they all have Thor levels of intelligence. <laughs> 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 I don't understand this bad guy. Also, I'd really like an axe. <laughs> My axe. <laughs> Wheel. On the Benatar, 
Gamora right. makes Peter Quill swear on his mother to kill her if she is captured by Thanos due to something she knows. Drax shows his ability to stand so slow as to become <laughs> invisible. <laughs> what a fantastic scene. Segue real quick. Have you guys seen, you know that Magneto meme? That is from X Men First Class, where he's like, "I prefer yes. the real." <laughs> yes, yes. Have you seen the one where it's talking about the um, Blumhouse movie that just came out, Invisible mm-hmm. Man? There's the three. There's the three <laughs> panels, and the first no. panel is uh-huh. the first panel is the you know on the left it's the movie Invisible Man, and then it's the right. I prefer the real Invisible Man. And the second panel is the one from the Universal Monsters that has like his face wrapped up in in bandages. Uh-huh. And then he says, "No, the real Invisible Man." And then the last panel is Drax. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect perfection That's or whatever. Wonderful. <laughs> anyway, oh. the Benatar arrives at nowhere, deserted but structurally sound. Hey, and so are we okay with funny Drax now? Is that is that where we're at? <laughs> I no. think that I said this in my notes. He didn't say his turds are famously huge. So. Okay. I think that that version of Drax is a lot closer to original funny Drax that makes okay. sense. Because he clearly really thinks that he is invisible. It's true. <laughs> right. I, I'm with Peaches on this. I think this is, right. this is more cl- close to the original Drax. I won't yeah. belabor the point then. <laughs> um, the Guardian sneak into the collector's vault where Thanos is threatening him for the location of the reality stone. Gamora jumps in, slices Thanos' throat with her sword, then stabs him in the heart with the switchblade, then falls into tears, overkilling her adopted father. Pretty messed up. But then Thanos decides to up the messed up ante yes. when he reveals that everything is a projection and as he's already got the reality stone and nowhere is in flames. Now he's got three out of six infinity stones. Thanos reveals... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it since Peach's ass. I said this in chat, but this scene does have a nod to Arrested Development as the Russos are wont to do. They like to reference, since they directed a lot of episodes of Community and Arrested Development, they will make references to those shows either by bringing in actors or little background things. So in the collector's collection is Tobias Funke, who is uh, David Cross on, uh, uh, on Arrested Development. And like he, there's like a plaque that says that or no, he is literally in there. There is. A, and they didn't actually get David Why did Cross. I not know this? Yeah. He's, he's completely blue from head to toe. <laughs> And he, he blew himself. He blew himself. Yes, and he's a, <laughs> and he's 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 in one of the collector's things. Uh, like cages. Oh my I, I'm surprised you didn't know that, Robbie. I like I I, I expected you to know. Can't this. believe I didn't Whoa, know. Whoa! Like literally, like his whole body. Yep, you see him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Tobias, you blow hard. <laughs> you know what? I've noticed that, but I never realized that's who it was in the background. Yeah. I like I I've. Wow. Yep, it's fun. Okay, this is important. Thank you. I've learned things. You're welcome. All right, I'm, gl- I'm, glad I, I'm glad I stopped everything to say that. <laughs> wow. Uh, Thanos then reveals he suspected Gamora still cared for him, subdues Mantis and Drax, and takes Gamora hostage. Gamora reminds Quill he promised to kill her. After being taunted by Thanos and exchanging I love yous with Gamora, Peter pulls the trigger of his gun pointed at her. The reality stone turns the gun into a bubble blower, and Thanos... <laughs> disappears with Gamora. 
Thanos makes such better use of the reality stone than the Dark Elves did. Yes. Like, it's, yeah. agreed. It's, it doesn't even feel like the same gem. It's fantastic, though. <laughs> I love it. And and great, uh, I great callback to the Infinity Gauntlet comic as well when Th- uh, when Drax and Mantis attack, and he turns Drax into little pieces and turns Mantis into ribbons. He does that. I forget who he does that to. In Infinity he does that Gauntlet. to his brother. Oh yeah, Someone Star else. Fox, right? Uh, his dad, maybe. Yeah, Star Fox. Do a barrel roll. Star Fox yeah. and Wolf. But yes, it, exactly. Falco, he does that no, exact thing Falco. to people in Infinity yeah. Gauntlet. So, Chris, um, lots of directors had their hands in the pot in this film, right? Yes. Um, yeah. This moment specifically has got some uh, some influence, not necessarily by directors, but by people's input. I think the Russo brothers were pretty open to input. Um, yeah. One thing that makes the MCU really unique uh, among any other movie franchise is the real collaborative effort that goes on with with the different directors and writers and and, and just filmmakers in general uh, especially since it is a mega franchise made up made up of a bunch of smaller franchises that cross over you know so you've got Peyton Reed over here like making the Ant-Man movies you've got James Gunn making the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and, and you know Taika Waititi is taking the the reins on Thor now you know and, and all these other uh directors and writers who are making their own movies but they check in with other filmmakers and with infinity war and endgame especially there was a lot of collaboration now the russos they had made captain the two captain america movies one of which had a bunch of adventures in it so they had experience with a lot of these characters but they never worked with the with guardians of the galaxy before and uh, and um, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, the screenwriters who wrote every Captain America movie and then Infinity War and Endgame as well. Uh, so they worked very closely with James Gunn. Uh, he did a lot of, you know, talking with them about the characterization, where the characters had been, where he was planning on taking them in the future, uh, just to make sure that things were consistent. He even wrote some dialogue. I am 90% sure that the Invisible Drax scene was actually written by James Gunn um it it feels like it at the very least so if he didn't write it they captured it perfectly um but this scene in particular what i wanted to talk about is when gamora makes quill promise that he will kill her if thanos gets her uh the the original scene as written when when they have this confrontation between thanos and quill uh it was originally written that he would not do it and Chris Pratt actually felt very strongly that no Quill would keep his promise, like he wouldn't want to, but he would do it. And the Russos said, "Well, hey, you know, he, he you're Star Lord. You know this character better than we do." And they, uh, they went with that. Um, and to me, that makes it like significantly more emotionally painful. Oh, it's heartbreaking. It really mm-hmm. is. And there are some other really great. Uh, examples of the, of the collaboration here. Uh, Thor is a big one because they were working on this movie while Ragnarok was being made, so they were in touch with with Chris Hemsworth and with Taika Waititi, saying, "Hey, this is the direction we're going with with Thor now." So that really kind of altered, you know, how he was written and his arc and everything. Um, this was being filmed at the same time uh, in Atlanta, along with Black Panther, which was also being filmed in Atlanta. So. Um, Ryan Coogler and his production team had a lot of input. That's why, you know, Wakanda looks the same as it does in Black Panther. 
a lot of the same actors, a lot of the same crew, uh, and a really great moment uh, and during the battle in Wakanda. Uh, the uh, the the battle cries that the uh, the warriors are doing. Um, that I, th- I think it's Mbaku leading. He's doing his his Jabari uh, chant. They started doing that. They didn't tell anyone they were going to do that. And the Russo was like, oh, keep that. Because that was something that they had found when making Black Panther. Like, oh, it makes sense. We would do that here, too. So they kind of just did that on their own. They're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're keeping that in the movie. Uh, so it's just really kind of interesting. It so many moving pieces because this movie is being written and in pre-production and then even in production while these other movies weren't even some of these movies weren't even out yet. Um, but they kind of had to all work together to make it consistent throughout. And especially, I, I think that the success of black Panther caught them by surprise. I think they thought it, they were hoping that it was going to be successful. Don't think they realized how incredibly successful it was going to be. Um, so Same. I don't know if they went back and added any more Wakanda stuff, like in reshoots. Like, I, I feel like if anything, we point maybe some more in Endgame than well. I mean, we got a little bit of a Koye in Endgame, and I mean, I, I I don't know exactly how much the reception of of Black Panther maybe did or did not affect it, or if they were like just saying, hey, I mean, they they took a big risk by setting half the you know a good yeah. half the movie in wakanda before black panther had come out because if black panther had flopped then right now half the movie is set in a place that that didn't resonate but clearly it did resonate with people so it they look like geniuses for setting half of it in wakanda and that's something i've thought a lot watching it like are they especially on rewatches did they like were they this confident or did they just don't not care about the success of black panther it's it's stunning. They're like, we're going to make the movie we want to make. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like, if we can... Well, and it's not just that. It's other little things. Like, the, the death of, or the, the dusting of Black Panther is also, like, played as a major moment. Uh-huh. And I remember that, like, that was... My theater really reacted to that. Uh-huh. And clearly, that... No one cares if people didn't care about Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were either confident or just lucky. Like, and, or both. And then the flip of that is when, when he came back in Endgame... The mm-hmm. theater went nuts. Mm-hmm. So I think he and Spider-Man got the two biggest cheers. Yes, um, same. He and Spider-Man were the two biggest cheers in my theater. There's no, there's, that's no surprise that that's probably who is currently, they've got fixed to head up this new iteration of the MCU, right? Like there's yeah. no surprise there that Black Panther and Spider-Man are at the forefront of yeah. all of these new, this new MCU movement. Yeah. So at this point, the Quinjet lands at Avengers headquarters where Colonel James Rhodes is in a hollow meeting with the defense secretary, Thaddeus E. Thunderbolt Ross. Thunderbolt Ross, that old geezer still around. Rhodes antagonizing the secretary over the Sokovia Accords being the impetus that allowed the Black Order invasion to happen. Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson, Natasha Romanoff, Bruce Banner, Wanda Maximoff, and Vision arrive in the middle of the meeting. Ross insists on arresting them, and Rhodes shuts off the meeting. I will uh, change this because Bruce Banner doesn't arrive in the middle of the meeting. He's Bruce Banner there, is yeah. already right, there right. because then we get that little, little tiny bit of Nat and Bruce that uh, mm-hmm. never gets mentioned again. Um, is it weird that Ragnarok? <laughs> I think is the movie that handles that pairing the best. Yeah, and, <laughs> and she's, she's not, not even, even in that in one. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so. At this point in the movie, 
you've got Thunderbolt Ross, a character that has been kind of peppered throughout, but you should only really know from Hulk. You've got a lot of characters that have a lot of sort of history. Um, and let me try to get an example. Um, we will take Captain America, the Winter Soldier. In Captain America, the Winter Soldier, you are not expected to have really seen the first Captain America, and you are given lots of backstory to tell you, all right, this is what happened that is relevant to this movie. You kind of already, you know, you can tell who Captain America kind of is. Um, this movie, and I think this is the first MCU movie, this one and Endgame specifically, almost require you to have seen all of the other Marvel movies. They require you to have this baseline knowledge, and the movie doesn't tell you a lot of different things about the characters, about the relationships, and about their motivations, and it expects you to know. And I kind of really appreciated that because I found the viewing experience to be more rewarding for it. Like, the more I had kind of immersed myself in these movies and in these worlds, the more rewarding watching this movie became. And I've since realized that after our MCU rewatch, because I now appreciate it even more because of how much sort of painstaking detail we have taken in our rewatch of all of these movies previously, I can now appreciate a lot of the small nuances in Infinity War that much more. Mm -hmm. I, uh, one that stood out to me, and I actually had in my notes, so I'm glad you brought this up, is um, when they're on the Benatar, uh, when Thor's on the Benatar, he... Uh, someone says, oh, oh, it's Quill says, no one but an idiot would give the Collector a stone. And Thor says, or a genius. Just yeah. very subtle. <laughs> and when I first watched this movie, I had obviously seen the Dark World once many years ago and just not thought about it since. I, if I had thought about it, I would remember what happens. But that exchange is specifically based around an end credit scene from the least popular MCU movie. And yet, if you just happen to be doing, you know, let's say a rewatch of all the movies for a podcast that a couple people listen to, you will like remember that that scene real quick and that line is hilarious. And so that's there's a you're absolutely right. There's a lot of that. This movie rewards it it's almost, watchable if you haven't seen anything and you're rewarded yeah, if you've seen everything. That's what I was going to get to. It it almost feels like and it is because all of these things are based on pre-existing works, but it almost feels like watching all the other movies is akin to like reading a book and then going to see the movie that's based on the book. Like you can still enjoy and I guess I don't actually have the frame of reference to say this, but I assume you can watch Infinity War and without having watched anything else and say, wow, that was an enjoyable movie and I really liked it. Mm -hmm. But it just goes that much further when you have mm -hmm. taken this time, you mm -hmm. know, because you just all these little details line up. And I, I honestly agree. would f kind of disagree. I think this movie is kind of hard to watch for somebody who's never because you're introduced really? to just. But how would we know? I guess we wouldn't yeah. know, but I guess my yeah, speculation, my speculation would be we are introduced. Robbie said, what, 24 different characters? Was oh yeah, it's like twenty four, twenty six. Someone we are like, introduced yeah. to so many characters in this movie, and you're not given a lot of sort of information on any of them. And I think probably the toughest part for a person watching this movie would be keeping up with who is who and what they're, why they're there, and what they're doing. Right? Like, I think that would be the the difficult part. And every time, because mm -hmm. this movie doesn't stop introducing characters until the last what thirty right. minutes. You know, we we don't even get to Wakanda and Black Panther until the last. You know last third of the movie i do wonder and this movie made so much money i'm sure those people exist there's probably tons of those people i don't think we 
know them. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not listening. Any so of we these can't people. say, hey, <laughs> listeners, listeners, write in because I doubt we have any listeners that are, are those people. Yeah, now. there's l- probably so I would zero people listening to this podcast that have never seen a Marvel movie. And if you are, <laughs> why? Sorry, <laughs> we spoiled s- all of them for you. <laughs> yeah, wow. I will say them. We're the worst. I will Watching say that I've had experiences. I have had experiences where I pick up series in the middle, and if the piece is good, then often it's kind of it's fun to wonder about what's going on with the when i saw and yes i knew the characters in the comics i saw avengers before i had seen um thor or uh or captain america and i just accepted what i was watching in avengers um and i think this movie is done better than avengers from that standpoint uh it's actually and sometimes it's something i can like there's a this is gonna get real nerdy there's a venture brothers episode called um return to the house of the mummies part two and First off, all three of you should watch The Venture Brothers, and you're wrong for never watching it. Sorry. But in season two, there's this episode called Return of the House of the Mummies Part 2, and it's written from the standpoint of an adventure serial like Johnny Quest that's a multi-part episode, and it it begins with the previously on The Venture Brothers, and you you just catch in the middle of that, of the plot of their trying to do this whole thing that has to do with, oh man, it's too complicated to even say, but they're just in the middle of this massive evil Egyptian plot. And the kicker is there is no part one. Part one does not exist. You just pick up in part two, not even knowing what happened because part you cannot watch part one. You will never have that option. And it's and yes, it's done purposely that way. But I think it's a it's amazing, and it just makes me think of what it's probably like to watch this. And so I think it could still be amazing. But again, there's no way for us to find out which of us is right. I mean, I'm thinking now of Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Yes. The originals of both of the uh, A New Hope and, and Rage of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. which are both homages to right. uh, to serials and start out in the middle of the action and expect you yes. to figure it out as you go along. This is a little bit different because it's starting in the middle of a story that has actually been being told for 10 years at this point. Uh, and surely you could figure out some of it you're like okay he's a wizard okay this guy's green now he's not uh but <laughs> if you didn't have the either through cultural osmosis the idea of who some of these characters are um then i think a lot of it would be pretty confusing yeah, um i i have a i have a challenge for our listeners i would love for and, and us too i think us and the listeners if we can find somebody somehow out there that has not seen a single Marvel movie and just get, just convince them to watch infinity war. I, we just have to know, like, I want to know so badly, like make sure that there was a, a person that like likes movies though. At least they have to at least like movies, hopefully likes right. action movies. And then just, just put the movie in front of them and see what they think. And it'll be like a, like an experiment. Someone out there has to know someone who hasn't seen any Marvel movies. I have tweeted it out so some sports people will see that. But... <laughs> Perfect. I just googled watching Infinity War without seeing other movies. And here we go. Here's well this isn't quite it's how casual MCU fans experienced Infinity War. What happens if you don't know the It's not the same filthy yeah. casuals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not a real fan till you start a podcast. I mean, we know a lot of people watch the <laughs> Avengers that way because it made them become right. Marvel fans. Or listen to but... a podcast. Can you watch Avengers Endgame if you haven't seen any Marvel films? No. I mean, you can. Oh, yeah, uh, you, you, can wa- you can watch anything. <laughs> Neat. This is going to bother me. 
Because I'm going to have no way of knowing we'll the answer. Leave, uh, Chris on his quest. We'll come back to him. Um, I'm sorry. You know, it, this, this, article is actually sa- this article is actually saying, yeah, you can watch Endgame without watching the rest. Um, well, goes, the internet said it, so Eduardo's wrong. They're saying everyone else in the audience will be <laughs> laughing at things that you won't get, but it's okay. <laughs> very... That's me every day. Yeah. So at this point, right. the group catches uh, one another up on the things going on while Vision explains the Mind Stone must be destroyed and he thinks Wanda, having been made from it, can do the job. Um, Banner argues One of the best with... lines in the movie, Banner saying, there's, a, there's an Ant-Man and a Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Banner argues a stone can be removed and Vision saved, but doesn't know who can do it. Roger says he does. In Wakanda, Okoye and T'Challa deliver a new arm to Bucky Barnes. Oh, Wakanda. When Barnes asks, where's the fight? T'Challa answers, on its way. Aboard the Ma's ship, the Ma is torturing Doctor Strange in an effort to get to the Time Stone. Man, we're barely into this movie. Um, Iron Man watches (laughs) on before being joined by the Cloak of Levitation and Spider-Man. Stark and Parker argue about Peter coming aboard before he claims you can't be a friendly friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood disarming Iron Man. I'm confused. Is he your ward? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Parker says he has an idea coming from the movie Aliens. Iron Man distracts the Maw and blows up a hole in the side of the ship, sucking them onto the vacuum of space while Spider-Man rescues Doctor Strange. This is followed by a direct... Not my wizard, you bitch. (laughs) This is followed by a shot directly from the Aliens' Queen's death in Aliens. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yes, Um, it is. Also, watch Aliens. Especially the end of Aliens. Okay. You'll be like, get away from just her, like you bitch is a top ten. <laughs> get away from her, you bitch is a top ten film line. Oh, I mixed it up with the line from Harry Potter. That's almost the exact same. Thing. That's fine. I accepted it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Strange and Parker meet while Strange and Stark and Strange argue about whether to continue to Titan or go back to New York. Stark reasons they should keep the fighting away from Earth. Strange wants to keep the time stone away from Thanos, but reluctantly agrees. Strange informs Stark if it's between Stark and Parker's lives of the safety of uh, Spark Parker's lives or the safety of the Time Stone, he will pick the Time Stone. Um, and I think this is we we already talked about um, Spider Man and how he would always do the right thing, and that's just kind of who he is. And this is just a little bit more like Doctor Strange has his priorities and what he thinks is the the, the greater good, and will always do that greater good, right? Yes. Since you said that, another thing going back to the commentary. Um, another thing I really like the Russos talked about is um, when they were kids reading the comics, they always thought it was cool how Doctor Strange was somehow like more knowledgeable and mature and all-knowing than everyone else. And how they described it is Doctor Strange is always the adult in the room, and they wanted to bring that into their movie, which, mm-hmm. by the way, the Russo brothers grew up as Doctor Strange fans, and that is cool, and I'm glad they direct my movies. Um, <laughs> but they wanted to bring that into the film, and they also wanted to also use the film to show that he's been spending his time you know the words they used are raising his power level up so uh both of those are done very well but i think um this moment is another one of those is is just a great example just like you said um and like they said that you know everyone having that thesis statement i think this is strange's thesis statement he sees the greater good even better than everyone else um and you're absolutely right that establishes uh what his motivation is very succinctly at this point iron iron man names spider-man an avenger Thanos and Gamora aboard his ship Sanctuary. 
Gamora claims she was happy on her home planet, and Thanos says killing half her people has made the planet rich and happy. Thanos says he's the only one in the universe who understands resources are finite. Thanos reveals he knows that Gamora found the Soul Stone and lied to him about it. He brings Gamora into a prison cell where Nebula is being held in suspended animation, having previously snuck onto Sanctuary to try and kill Thanos. Thanos That's tortures- a really cool shot, by the way. Yes. Where you see her head on it, yes. and then the camera moves, and you realize she's actually in pieces. It's the pirate skull in Pirates of the Caribbean. It is. It, it is. is. And freaky. It's just kind of freaky. It is, it is yes. kind of freaky. It messes with your head. This is the, yes. the, the perspective of it. And once again, spells out to me, without the director having to say so, that Thanos is bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, he's like... Like, if he's emotionally abusive to Gamora, he's all the rest of yes. kinds of abusive to... Yes, Nebula, which he is also in the comics. So, yes, yeah, yeah. Honestly, probably less so in the film. <laughs> yeah, he's less so in the yeah. film than he is in the comic. Yeah, it's rough in the comic. Um, mm-hmm. Thanos tortures Nebula, and Gamora pleads to them to stop. Thanos then shows Nebula's memory of Gamora telling Nebula about finding the stone and burning the directions. Thanos continues torturing Nebula, and Gamora tells Thanos where the Soul Stone is to save her sister. Sorry, I just Dantooine. had a moment of realization that I didn't realize that two very important plot moments hinge on Thanos getting into Nebula's head, mm-hmm. literally her uh, mm-hmm. like her memory banks. Oh, that's clever. That that it's it's paralleled in in this in an Endgame. I I didn't make the connection until just now. Yeah. We have to go deeper. Aboard the escape Thor. pod, Rocket consoles Thor over the loss of his family and his hammer. Thor explains his need to gain vengeance over Thanos, saying fate has kept him alive because it wills him so, and if he's wrong, he has nothing left to lose. And then Rocket gives Thor a robotic eye. Should have watched that first. Yeah. Should have watched that first. Uh, Thor... He got it on Contraxia. Thor is a, a favorite of this movie. Um, <laughs> Bailey has already told me that Thor is her MVP for this movie. Um, oh, and Peaches, you're a fan of Thor in this movie. You like where he's going. You like what he's doing. I am. I, I didn't realize that. Uh, I mean, maybe you don't disagree with me entirely. I didn't know that you didn't put him at a, uh, a level of intellect uh, that maybe I would hold him to. No, I just think that his... So, spoiler alert, Thor is going to end up being my MVP. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my Thor. Um, he just, his story is the most compelling to me. I, I would argue that, like, okay, objectively, Thanos is the main character in Infinity War. And a lot of the other characters come together in a way that doesn't really make any of them the main character. But if you had to pick someone that isn't Thanos, I think it's Thor. Oh, agreed. And I, and, I and, how I feel. And I think it's because his story continues from Ragnarok, maybe not lesson-wise in the most uh, coherent way, but it continues on the path of loss for him. And he goes from, you know, in the first three Thor films, losing members of his family and his friends to losing, as we've already stated multiple times, half of the rest of Asgard, his basically last friend left and his brother. And now he still has to basically soldier on and, and try to take care of this problem that is threatening the entire universe. And it's, it's like underneath, it's such a sad story. And a lot of it revolves around Thor. Um, 
I mean, he's like, he's literally left with nothing else except a few things to fight for, and he still does it. And I don't want to get too much into what happens in the endgame, but this, like, just very fluidly transitions into how we see him in endgame as what people dubbed as Fat Thor, which is really just depressed Thor. It's like the most human that we've seen Thor so far, and that he has gone through a terrible mess of hardships that no person should ever have to deal with. And they're finally catching up to him. And so I, I think that despite all of this sadness and grief that this character goes through as well as he possibly can, he also has an, an, a lot of other really great things in this movie um, alongside of this. Like as Soundlord mentioned earlier, he's got one of the best action sequences in the entire MCU, which is probably still a lot of people's favorites when he at near the end of the movie, lightning bolts into Wakanda uh, with rabbit and tree and <laughs> absolutely destroys everybody with this new weapon. Um, and he's got a lot of funny moments too. I, I just think that all around, he's a great addition to this story. Uh, one of the more important stories amongst all of the characters possibly objectively but right now subjectively uh and he he just makes this movie that much better yeah i think ragnarok infinity war endgame thor just has a great three movie arc i think he really does i think each one leads into the next and i totally understand why hemsworth said you know what i want to come back and do more thor i can mm-hmm. see how he felt rejuvenated after after I, I i could see i could understand like he was hinting at it after ragnarok is like okay i can see why he'd be excited but now having seen all three of these movies it's like oh yeah no wonder he wants to do more i i said that thor became the best avenger so gradually that none of us noticed right <laughs> it's like and that's uh, so unexpected right exactly it, it's it's like all of a sudden thor is just such a wonderful character in a way that he hadn't been before and there had always been like potential and i think hemsworth has always been great as thor um but and i and i liked the original thor quite a bit but dark world was a big disappointment right. uh he didn't get that much to do in age of ultron all things considered he had a couple good moments here and there but which is interesting he was supposed was... to like age of ultron was supposed to be just like this where it's like the main character of the good guys was Thor. They cut so much of his side quest. Yeah. 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 And, and even if they hadn't though, it had, would have had him separated right. from Correct. the rest of the Avengers so much that it would have felt disjointed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I really enjoy seeing him really get to be part of, I mean, not so much in this one, uh, but in Endgame, he really does get to be part of the Avengers. And you get to see that relationship that he has with the Avengers. And uh, yeah, I just think he, he has a wonderful arc in, in the, in these three movies and he, he's, he's very funny in all of them. Um, but he also gets some of the best tug at your heartstrings scenes too, because he, he, the way he says that line to, to rocket, uh, when he says, if I, you know, because well, because what he's like, he's he says, well, he's never fought me. And Rocket says, yes, he has. And he goes, well, he's never fought me twice. <laughs> and but then he lists everything that he has lost, and, and he says, and he says, if I fail, then 
what else do I have to lose? And he, he kind of smiles, but it's like the saddest smile. And, and there, and there's just a little break in his voice there. And it's, you, you know, and then rocket, you know, kind of brushes aside with the joke because that's what rocket does. But, but that's also rocket's way of being sympathetic too. And he goes, well, I got a lot to lose me personally, but then he gives him the eye and everything. And, and, and really, I, I really enjoy seeing Rocket's respect for Thor grow over the course of this movie, too. Time to be the captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know Lies what else? Rabbits. Like, one, one more quick thing about it, too. I think that Thor as a character just is so um, unexpected. Not him as a character, but his growth as a character and the way that we all have come to enjoy Chris Hemsworth's portrayal of Thor. Because if you think about just a base level of who the Avengers are. You've got mostly a bunch of like really incredibly weird or intelligent or quirky or gifted people. And then just a God from Norse mythology. Like, yeah. When you think about it that way, you expect Thor to be boring because you have all these original characters that exist in the MCU that it started existing solely because of the MCU, MCU. And then Thor, who is already a character from mythology being inserted into this universe that is completely new. So it's weird. It's yeah. it, it, you, it, you kind of expect Thor to be the boring meathead jockey guy. Yeah. You're like, Oh, Thor's and, on the team. That's weird. Okay, sure. Right. <laughs> and then over time, obviously we've had all these different feelings about, his portrayal in the movies and et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's another factor, but yeah, I don't have anything else to say now. I think. So the trio <laughs> arrive at someone hmm? fill me out here. Oh, a uh, Nidavellir. Uh, sorry. Benatar. Oh, Nidavellir. Nidavellir. The trio. Benatar. Arrive at Benatar. Pat Benatar. <laughs> The trio arrive with Pat Benatar uh, with the star dormant <laughs> and the forge abandoned. <laughs> and they hit it with their best shot. It's, it's the Pat Benatar. <laughs> it had been a star and now it's not. <laughs> Once it gets broken in, in half, it's Pat bent too far. <laughs> hmm. They find a replica of the Infinity Gauntlet and start to leave when Head Dwarf, oh man, Etri, Etri attacks, angry at Thor for the Asgardian abandoning the dwarves. Etri is played by Peter Dinklage. Uh, Thor explains Asgard being destroyed, and Etri explains that Thanos forced him to make the Infinity Gauntlet and killed the rest of the dwarves and smelted metal over Etri's hands. Thor convinces Etri they can kill Thanos together. Nebula breaks out of confinement and sends a message to the Benatar. Um, the Ebony Maw's spaceship crash lands on Titan, but Strange, Parker, and Stark survive. In another display of spider sense, um, Parker alerts the group to the arrival of the Guardians of the Galaxy, who attack the heroes looking for Gamora, assuming they are with Thanos. A brief fight ensues before everyone realizes they are <laughs> after Thanos. What a Another classic scene. Drax moment. Uh, classic Drax moment. Classic Quill moment, too. Where uh, is what, Gamora? What am I supposed to say? Jesus? <laughs> Jesus? What? Oh, you're from Earth? Yeah, because yeah, Strange, in classic Strange fashion, instead of saying, who do you work for, says, what master do you serve? <laughs> and Quill goes, am I supposed to say Jesus? And you're from Earth? No, I'm from Missouri. Which is on Earth, dipshit. <laughs> Where is Gamora? Who is Gamora? 
Why is Why Gamora? Is Gamora? <laughs> I'll do you one better. All right. Well, you guys are still in my thunder here before I was going to talk about how great the Guardians of the Galaxy are in this movie. Go uh, ahead. We didn't talk about say anything. Undo. The Guardians of the Control Galaxy are really great in this movie. <laughs> Look, I don't unbeknownst to me, I don't know when it happened, but I've like quietly become like just a gigantic Guardians of the Guardians of I the noticed Galaxy. I noticed and I'm happy. It's just every time they're on screen, I just get happy. And uh-huh. I specifically, you can see the difference because they are in this movie, the difference between the James Gunn style of writing and the way the comedy is written for the Guardians and the way it is written for most of the rest of the MCU. And those two comedy styles tend to play it off of each other very, very well. They, they just kind of work together. I don't know what it is, but they just bounce mm-hmm. off of each other so well. I mean, you take sort of the figurehead of each comedy style. You take Peter Quill, and you take Tony Stark, and you just make them talk to each other, and it's just magic. It's great. It's just fantastic. <laughs> and they, they both are able to just kind of go all out with who they are. And it's honestly just literally Chris Pratt and you know Robert Downey Jr. Just that's how they would have a conversation with each other. Yeah. Um, and it's just so fantastic. And it just every time I see the Guardians, they just they add just such a, a level of depth that I, I think that this this group needs. And anytime I see that the Guardians are gonna be part of the MCU, I, I get excited. So that's why I kind of like just kind of discovered that I'm just I just love the Guardians, man. I think they're so cool and I think they're so mm-hmm. much fun and I, I appreciate how much they I mean they take things seriously, but they also don't take things seriously. They're also just a bunch of like kind of random misfits in this group of you know the soldier and the god and the smartest man and they go and these bunch of a-holes standing in a circle you know yeah (laughs) you know they're just my friend the tree right my friend the tree they're just this like random group of people you know they're just just and that's I i can relate to that i can relate to just being the part of the group of random misfits you know are you so does your opinion of them now that you have seen re-seen this movie uh-huh. does this make you like think about your opinion on guardians 2 and etc i don't know if it necessarily changes my opinion do you still on think the, that the, the uh, like like what we <laughs> talked us. about a lot when when we fought these two it was a lot about the daddy thing and a lot about the humor being a little too far like do you you kind of like find yourself rescinding some of that at this point or I rescind none of that, but I do. Okay. It doesn't change my reverence for the Guardians of the Galaxy. It doesn't change sure. how I feel about them because, truthfully, to this point, the Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, is number two, only by Black Panther, and you know that's that's to be expected, especially from me. Um, yeah, and I don't know if it's gonna move. I won't talk about my my ratings yet, but I have been bouncing whether or not I like this movie more than the first Guardians, and I still am undecided. It has gone back and forth a couple times, and I still don't know where it's going to land. So you'll find out on when we do our next episode. But I had I'll forgotten you, you like Guardians that much, and it surprised yeah. me when I was working on the notes. Suspense. I like the suspense. This is yeah. good. So the mm-hmm. Guardians are cool. Yes, they are. Um, Spider-Man reveals they are the Avengers who the Guardians recognize from Thor and tell the others about their encounter with the God of Thunder. Is Footloose still the best movie of all time? <laughs> It never was. It never, it was. never was. <laughs> <laughs> Nidavellir. What? 
Nidavellir. On Nidavellir, Etri. Benatar. Benatar shows off the mold for an axe called Stormbreaker, able to harness thunder and summon the Bifrost. On Titan, Stark and Quill fight over the plan to take on Thanos. Strange views. 14,605 alternate futures and tells the others the Avengers are victorious in exactly one. On Vormir, Thanos and Gamora climb a mountain looking for the Soul Stone. They enter, they encounter the Red Skull, dun dun dun, turned oh, into man. a guardian of the stone after his encounter with the Tesseract. How did you all react to this in the theater? I just remember just like gasping yes. louder than I had in a very long time. Someone in my theater somehow f- knew it. I remember someone in my theater said, oh, Red Skull, before his face was there. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, I remember at first I thought, oh, did they actually put death in this movie? Like, that, that was, was my first, initial that thought. That was my first reaction. But the voice is like, oh, that's not, that yes. doesn't sound like death. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, when, when it was actually Red Skull, I gasped. I remember yeah. this moment because I was in the bathroom. And no! I came back and sat down and like it was like when Gamora and Thanos are like speaking to each other after they had kind of like talked about what's gonna happen. And I'm like, I sat down and I look at Bailey and I go, What did I miss? And she's like, Oh, the one dude with the red face is there. And I'm like, The one about? dude with the red face. <laughs> and, Brave heart. And you know, like red face, and then I look up as the red skull and I go, What? And everybody's like, Shh, like shut up. <laughs> He had much better timing on when he went to the bathroom during I episode nine, by the way. Yeah, I can't believe you went to the bathroom during yeah. Infinity War. Man, I... when, when did you go to the bathroom in episode nine? Uh, uh, right snake when they're in the, the snake healing. Yeah, that thing. I didn't. Uh, I don't. I mean, I guess this because I don't remember. Weird I don't know. Conversation. Yeah. Why do you go to the bathroom in the middle of a movie? You I have an overactive just, bladder. Yeah. You leave me alone. I don't. I don't think you I have ever. You your pants and you deal with it exactly. later. Exactly. That's what. You... I have. A, I have a friend who went to the bathroom during episode nine, and he missed the. Uh, ray fighting dark ray so he thought he left the theater thinking so they just put that in the trailer for no reason (laughs) peter your pants is cool consider me miles davis Davis. uh well yeah and and it's not i oh gosh what's the actor's name because it's not hugo weaving he did not come back no i wouldn't Uh, richard marquand i think he's a guy from walking dead (laughs) I didn't realize it wasn't Hugo. No, it wasn't. Yeah. He does a, I mean, he does a good. If uh, I understand, if I remember. It is not Richard Marquand. Where did I get that name? Richard Marquand directed Return of the Jedi. <laughs> what? Okay. So I was going to say the guy that directed Return of the Jedi, and then I thought maybe I was wrong. And I just, it's Ross yeah. Marquand. I wonder if they're related. Is it even, I'm literally looking at a Return of the Jedi poster on my yeah. wall to see if it's spelled the same. Ross Marquand. Okay, so I'm not. A complete idiot for related? saying Richard Marquand. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah, now I wonder if they're related. Yeah. Yes. No. Well, he was born in Fort Collins, Colorado. By the way, he's an Eagle Scout. Oh, good for him. The Eagle Scouts don't he's sell cookies. Nobody cares. He's a distant relative. Of That's Richard the rudest Marquand. thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> you know that I'm kidding. <laughs> but you should sell cookies. Distant relative. Okay, cool. Distant relative. Yeah. So, the skull explains to Thanos the only way to obtain the soul stone is to sacrifice something you truly love, a soul for a soul. Gamora laughs, claiming Thanos failed because he loves nothing. Thanos begins crying, and Gamora realizes it's because Thanos believes what he feels for her is love. She attempts to kill herself with a switchblade, 
but Thanos turns it to bubbles. Was there a single soul that didn't see this coming that wasn't named Gamora? Like, she... I'm not trying to make light out of a very sad part of the movie, but, like, I felt like during the whole speech that was happening between the two of them, it was very obvious... Yeah. Ex- except for to Gamora. And I guess that's part of the point is that she really did not think that what his treatment of her was, was love. There have been some people that apparently took calling this love as offensive and were in, um, I guess, denial through that speech. But that's the most I've seen of being surprised by it. That's the closest yeah. I've seen. Interesting. And that is that a conversation we should have? It's I actually, we kind of touched on it yes, earlier. I'm so... Okay, so yeah, so, and and I know Eduardo was about to call on me, so, um, Gamora is such an absolute star in this film, um, which is so crazy, it's so crazy, we constantly talk about all the weird things, like the fact that everyone knows who Thanos is now, and all this stuff, it's just so stunning to me, that in one of the biggest blockbusters ever made, um, to this point in history, you could maybe argue, it definitely financially, was the biggest blockbuster ever made, one of the most anticipated for a full year, right? One of the most anticipated <laughs> blockbusters ever made. The emotional core of the film is Gamora played by Zoe Saldana. Like, I, I don't think that was stunning at the, by the time the movie came out, but go back a few years and I tell you that's going to be a thing. And you're going to be what? Like it mm-hmm. it's, but it's so cool. And she's just, Saldana does a great job as does everyone in this movie. The Russos do a yeah. great job with her. It's just so crazy that Gamora ends up being emotionally so important to this film. And we've already we've already talked about it. her scenes with Quill um, and her scenes with her. Her fights with Thanos on Sanctuary are so interesting and their relationship is so and it's already built, been built up to this point. But it's so fascinating in a dark and unpleasant way. Like it's not fascinating in a way that like a love story is fascinating. Um, it's fascinating in how much how strongly i feel it i guess is what i can say um and i i think gamora's importance in this film ends up resonating in the next film because endgame i think nebula ends up being maybe the emotional core and that's driven yeah. by gamora in this film that's even more surprising to yes, me that yes, nebula yes. ends up mm-hmm. um and so I'm just in love with Gamora in this film. And that was that was my reaction the first time I saw it. It was my reaction rewatching it. There are other people who are fantastic in this film, but none of them, I think, make me feel things the way Gamora does. Um, and none of them are as, as surprising as Gamora is. I, I vaguely knew who Gamora was before the MCU. She was the green girl. And she has been mm-hmm. turned into maybe the most important character. Well, okay, no, Thanos is the most important character. But maybe the most important hero in the most important film in the MCU to this point, And that's stunning to me. But while we're talking about it, I, there was a lot of controversy and I would love to get y'all's takes. If you're willing, um, there was a ton of controversy from sections of social media that I, uh, I guess, and I'm exposed to that found this scene offensive. They found it offensive that Thanos was rewarded for giving up something he loves saying that he didn't love Gamora. There's there's no way this is love. And my argument is, and then there's a lot of people that are angry about the film saying that calling this love is offensive because it's clearly abusive and it shouldn't be, and Thanos shouldn't be rewarded. And it's, he's a bad guy and I is definitely a bad guy. And at no point does the film ever make me, to me, at no point in this film do I ever think he's the good guy. 
And I just, I don't think, it has never been to me something I've understood that love is necessarily a good thing. Um, Thanos believes that he loves Gamora, and that is what's important here. Thanos manifests his love in a 100% totally abusive way. And and in the commentary, the Russos talk about that. They talk about how abusive he is um, emotionally. They talk about the reality stone being him messing with her head it is clearly he is just laying a trap so that he can you know play with her emotions um because he is again a bad guy but i don't think that means he doesn't love her it means that because he's corrupt and insane his version of love is corrupt and insane i'm sensitive to the fact that that's something that's very much open to interpretation so i don't feel like getting in a shouting argument with someone that says no that's not love and that's offensive but i guess i just don't get it because I don't see the idea of it not being love because it's bad. It's it's a delicate subject. Um, I, I I think when you have an emotional abuser like like Thanos is and like exist in real life, I think in some ways they do think that they love the person that is the object of their love slash abuse. <laughs> So, so I don't think that it's necessarily because Thanos thinks he loves Gamora and and maybe deep in his core, he does love her because he is heartbroken when he kills her, Mm -hmm. but he also still kills her. Right. So I, you know, it it is never painted as a healthy love because there's such a thing as unhealthy love. Right. And that's my argument. Yeah, and I so, saw. So I I, th- I think I agree with you there. And, and this is not being painted as oh, isn't the love of a father and a daughter great? I agree. Uh, but no. people seem we to get think that. that. In, we get that in Tony and Morgan in the next uh, mm-hmm. in the next movie. Uh, and I never actually made that connection till just now. That it is the opposite. You know, Thanos kills his daughter so that he can make the universe the way he wants it. Tony sacrifices himself to save the universe for his daughter. Mm-hmm. It's the exact opposite. So, so I think it's very intentional and, and I don't, I cannot speak as, you know, as not someone who's gone through, through an abusive relations like that. And I can understand why it would be upsetting for someone who has been through something like that to watch that. Uh, but I also don't think that that makes it inaccurate. Agreed. And I also yeah. don't think it means that, it's being shown as a good thing and Thanos is being rewarded. Like, yes, Thanos is being rewarded by getting the soul stone, but he's not being rewarded in some way that is displaying it as moral and defensible. Yeah. Retweets are not endorsements, but in movie form, (laughs) making our bad guy do this does not mean that we think that it is the right thing to do. That is why our bad guy is doing it. (laughs) I think you guys covered it. I don't know. I don't think anything else needs to be said. I want to point out that in Guardians, didn't they say that Gamora was the last of her people? They and did. Four uh, years talking about how half of her people are happy. Thanos. Thanos. Um, <laughs> One of those yeah, teams. that was no, a no prize. Yeah. So, just as a side. Yeah, I'm sure we could come up with some kind of explanation. I think James Gunn even addressed that and said, yeah, when I wrote that, we didn't realize that this was the direction we'd be taking Thanos in the future. Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just plans change. Uh, it's a one-off line, yeah. easy enough to ignore. I mean, I, 
doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, I think I'm okay with it. There, there are much I'm... more troublesome retcons in oh yeah big movie finales that have happened recently. I'm curious the Venn diagram relationship of the people that needed Thanos being a bad guy spelled out for them, and the people that didn't think that Thanos loves Gamora. On my Twitter, it is a circle. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I don't think you are. Well, boyos, this is where we take our stop. Not quite. Oh, we've oh, we've already alluded to it, but Thanos oh, yeah, then yes. kills Gamora. You might as well spill it. Yeah. So Thanos gra- grabs the adopted <laughs> daughter by her arms and throws her over the side of the cliff. Gamora sorry, falls to wife. her death, and Thanos awakens with the soul stone in his hand. So this is where we're going to take our break. Um, so this will be it for part one of our Infinity War episode. You're getting lots and lots and lots of podcasts, so this should be able to hold you until we get our next one out. Hopefully the audio isn't an absolute train wreck for this one so that we can get it out to you in a reasonable manner. Um, as Robbie has already talked about the Russo's commentary 6,000 times at this point in the Russo's commentary, um, <laughs> they say this is the end of the second act. Uh, so we'll leave part one of this podcast with Thanos having taken possession of the soul stone and the conflict between his army and earth approaching. We get more Wakanda. We finally get Shuri interacting being smarter than literally everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. and we get all kinds of fun stuff we get a a controversial scene that people seem to be really upset about that i personally have a vested interest in disagreeing with all of you about so uh, i'm on your team i'm on your team so hopefully Wait, what? Uh, i don't know what scene we're talking about oh if you look in the notes you'll know what i'm you know what i'm talking oh i will about. So uh, hopefully I'm able to change your mind if you're listening to this and you disagree. But to understand what we're even talking about, you're going to have to tune into our next episode, which is going to be Infinity War Part 2. And we won't rename that one. Um, (laughs) But that's going to do it for all of us for this episode. Uh, If you wanted to email the show, you can email the show at assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. You can find the show on Twitter at assemblycast.com. Um, and that's going to do it for all of us here. D underscore Peaches, Phil Kid 3, Gator Sacks 2010, ABCD Eduardo 1. It's going to do it for myself, Peaches, Robbie, Chris. We love you 3000. See you next time. Excelsior. Hail Hydra. Bubbly, bubbly, looks good today same
fucking rude. Why is that rude for me to enjoy my own hair? Because not all of us have the luxury. Enjoy your hair on your own time. 